Hey, what up? This is Zach Guilford from Midnight Mass, and you're listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Pop Culture Pastor. Pop Culture Pastor. So, uh, Cody, I was uh, perusing the Emmy nominations. I am familiar with the Emmys. Yeah, I'm not normally, I don't have a, a lot of stake in the Emmys. I don't really care all that much. Uh, But I'm looking through the Emmy nominations, and I did it for a real reason, because I had read a couple articles that were talking about a couple of shows that got snubbed. Mm. You know know what I mean by snubbed? Yeah. They're like, uh, yeah, they they thought they were going to get nominations, and they didn't. Got overlooked. And so uh, I'm looking at the nominations. The shows, by the way, were shows I watched, so I was interested. I was like, oh, I've seen these shows. Oh, did they get snubbed? The shows were This Is Us and Yellowstone. I have heard of both. Have uh, uh, Matt Bogle, who is our guest today. Yes. Have you seen either of those shows? Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Okay. Matt is, uh, Matt, say, tell us who you are. Because Matt is not a pastor. (laughs) No. But he is. uh, Go ahead and tell us what you do. So uh, I am a nurse practitioner here in Chinook, Kansas, um, and um, mainly uh, the main thing here is is that uh, I've got a son, and his name is Thor. So, yeah, you know, Matt has a son named Thor. He Matt is Matt is an Matt is uh, Thor. Oh, he's an Odin son. I was going to say <laughs> he's a Matt son. Um, Matt is the all father. Uh, Matt, I true. I bequeath uh, bequeath might not be the right word, but you were a member of the Geeks of the Roundtable. Thank you. Uh, I commend you, sir, and welcome. Um, so you've seen Yellowstone. Back to the the original point here. When I looked at the nominees, I had a very visceral reaction, which was Yellowstone did not get snubbed. <laughs> like, no, sorry. This was such a weird season. Yeah, I, I just like look, it's entertaining, but the people like the entertainment that's out there, this is maybe the best television's ever been from a storytelling perspective with all the streaming and all that. It's just a tough like you get nominated now, you're doing something. Mm-hmm. The days of like the network shows just, you know, the same four or five shows dominating every year, uh those are done because the nominees they're all wonderful on some wonderful shows. Um, Stranger Things. We talked about that last week and how, uh, you know, our, my opinion was that it's probably the best thing on right now. You did say that. Yeah. Ted Lasso had a ton of nam- nom- nominations. It should have all the nominations. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic show. And then, so when I look at Yellowstone, I'm like, well, come on now, guys. <laughs> I mean, if there was a tongue acting category, then I'd give it to <laughs> Kevin Costner every day because I don't know what he's doing with his tongue in those scenes where he's like moving around the inside of his mouth, but he's a master at it. Um, I So there was a show that I thought should have had more. Oh. But didn't get more nominations. It only got three, and it was like super weird, lame categories that I didn't care about. Um, and that would be 1883. Yeah, actually, see, I think eighteen eighty three was actually better than Yellowstone. I agree, um, but yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But it got ignored for some reason, by and large. Which I mean, again, like you said, it's going to be tough to crack into that nomination group mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. 
so many quality programs on right now. Yeah. So I just, that was something I noticed. This is us is a fine television show. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel like they got snubbed. There's just, I mean, there's just so much quality out there. And, and I think the weird thing is, is television's really ruling right now. I think movies are kind of wobbly for me, although I did see Elvis and, and the feeling I had walking out of Elvis was like, Oh, that's the first, like, rich cinematic experience I've had in a while. Uh Like, don't get me wrong. I love the MCU, but that's not rich and thick, right? That's cotton candy and fun. And, and I like that. Um, but Elvis was the first movie I walked out of and I thought, wow, that was a great film. It was, I would say that like top gun Maverick was one of those popcorn flicks that you're like, Oh, that's entertaining. Yes. And, but, but you could say that, that hasn't happened in a while either for a non superhero movie oh, yeah. to, to make that kind of money. I think that tells you where the movie industry is. Um, evidently it just passed Titanic for Paramount's most successful movie as well. It should. I don't know how Titanic has withstood the test of time until now, but it I, did. I know. And his name is Billy Zane. <laughs> <laughs> Give respect where respect is due. Billy Zane. All right, so <laughs> this uh, this intro has gone on far enough. You're listening to Pop Culture Pastor, uh, the podcast uh, about pop culture with uh, opinions from pastors. all over. Yeah, I'm Dave. Cody's here. You already met Matt, who is uh, uh, say that title. You're a nurse practitioner, correct? And what is that? Why? Why does that make you different from like? What is that? That's like you've like leveled up from nursing. What is that? So I can uh, practice medicine. I uh, oh, okay. see patients, diagnose, uh, prescribe medications, uh, order labs. Very cool. Know, all that stuff. All right. Take awesome. care of people. Keep them healthy. Yeah. Um, saving lives. Saving lives. That's yeah. right. That's the goal. Yeah. All right. Quality. In other words, he does way more important things on a day-to-day basis than we do. That's <laughs> no, just no, a couple no, of mutton heads no. talking about pop culture, <laughs> occasionally talking about Jesus. All the Jesus. All the Jesus. Okay. Um, all right. So this is going to be a little bit different pod. We are going to get to our main focus quicker today, hopefully, uh, because we're going to talk about Thor, Love and Thunder. That's why we're here. But first, we did a thing. We're about to go out to the lobby. Oh, yeah. But this is a special lobby, Cody. Very special. Because for the first time ever in Pop Culture Pastor history, um, we did a joint lobby segment. This actually, will, uh, this part of the pod, the lobby part, will have appeared live on our radio show. What? Within the last 24 hours or so. Uh, we did this lobby segment live, and, and then it's going to be, and we're going to go out there, and, and it's going to be in the pod now. That's amazing. It is amazing. We are like, we're like the Time Warner of podcasts by pastors. <laughs> <laughs> look at that. I mean, look at us. We're just multifaceted over here. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, let's go out to the lobby. Meet us out there right now. Matthew, cue the music. Welcome to the lobby. Okay, welcome back. I actually get a starter song. This is so weird. <laughs> anyway, I was at work, one of my many jobs, I feel, but... I was talking with one of the front office staff and we got to talking about pop culture things and then they came up with a great I guess question that would make 
potentially great radio slash podcasting material. Okay. I, I feel this would be a question that would be on the pop culture pastor lobby segment mm-hmm. uh, for the podcast. Which character would you be in Parks and Rec? <sighs> so okay, I will give you some songs to think about it. Okay. And when we come back from the music, we will reveal who we think we are and then just to be clear, the other person is. This is the lobby segment. This is essentially the lobby. No, no, no. Let's just make it, let's just declare it. This will be the lobby segment. We're in we're we're in the lobby right now. This is if you don't listen to the podcast, uh we're we're joining forces right now. Radio to podcast. If you don't listen to the podcast, basically we have a segment called the lobby. We go out to the a fictional lobby in our theater where we talk pop culture nerdery. Yes. And you're asking me. So Rachel from the Iola area is asking us, who would you be in Parks and Rec? There's so many good characters there. There are. Okay. So (laughs) we're on the radio and we're in the lobby at the same time. This is bananas. This is radio and podcast joining. By the way, if you ever want to listen to us on the radio, uh, right now we're on in the mornings uh, on www.kfex931.com. Or there's an app. If you go to your app store on your phone and search KFEX, you'll find us. You'll find us. And we're on from eight to noon uh, most mornings. Okay. But this question, restate the question. Okay. So Rachel from... The Iola area asked, which character from Parks and Rec would you be? This is tough because, yeah, there's always a character I'd like to be. So what I'm about to say is, I'd like to be Chris Pratt's character. Okay, so you went with a different character than I wanted. Well, there's multiple characters. Okay, so um, Andy Dwyer, who's an idiot, (laughs) but he's a lovable idiot. He is through the course of the show. You understand that he's got a good heart. He's kind. He's loving. You understand he's kind of a dope, but he's those things, which I'd like to be. I'd like to say I'm him, but I don't think I match up. Well, he's more loving than I am. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to be Ron Swanson. <laughs> that is one of the gentlemen I would like to be because he's cool. <laughs> he's a good leader. He's very into America. <laughs> We have the same diet, which probably isn't good, but (laughs) (laughs) he hides bacon all over the office. I'd like to be those characters. I'd even like to be possess the qualities of Leslie. Who's a hard worker, very caring about people, very caring about the environment she's in. Just is very important to things. The things that are important to her. I wish were the things that were important to me, but if I'm being honest, they're probably not except for breakfast. Yeah. She really loves breakfast and I'm with her on that. Who I probably am is Ben Wyatt. So when I was asked this question, I said I was Ron Swanson. (laughs) No, you're not. And then I got an immediate, no, you're not. And then I was like, could I be hippie Ron from Eagletonia or Eagleton? (laughs) Um, Sam Right, yeah. played by Sam Elliott, hilariously. Yes. Would love to be him. Uh, evidently, I'm not. Then I thought, 
am I Jean Ralphio? Because <laughs> I occasionally sing things just yes. randomly. No, he's psychotically weird. <laughs> I wouldn't say you're John Ralphio, although it would be hilarious because you are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel and my wife both said the same person and oh. it was Ben Wyatt. Yeah. Okay. So this works for both of us. Cause let's just look at Ben for a minute. First of all, Ben's a fellow geek. He he's is. A, he's a nerd. He loves geeky things. He loves pop culture. He loves games. He does. He invented his own game called the Cones of Dunshire. Dunshire. Yeah. <laughs> he's smart, but he's not like his personality isn't such where like, listen, we talk and people may find our talk interesting, but when we walk into a room, <laughs> it's not like people are like, oh, it's Dave and Cody. <laughs> we're not lighting up the room when we come in. No. There are people in our town who are way more um, like people gravitate towards them. Like there are other pastors in this town. Oh, yeah. Who are way more visible and uh, people find them gravitate towards them, right? We are not that guy. So Ben Wyatt is pretty, is pretty spot on for both of us. I really think I'm hippie Ron. I love that Ben Wyatt wants to be cool. He does. But just isn't. He's just not cool. No. And not in a mean way. Just in a, he's just not like, he doesn't stand out. Although I would so totally buy an authentic Batman costume on Treat Yourself Day. (laughs) Treat yourself. Uh, at least we're not at least we're not um uh who's the guy that does the treat yourself tom tom at least we're not tom haverford yes or jerry or gary <laughs> that's or Terry. actually i'm gonna take mine back i'm probably jerry <laughs> jerry kurgich <laughs> so we're we're out in the lobby and this is what we do out in the lobby. So we're also, this is also live on the radio show right now. This is the first time this has ever happened. This is so exciting. It's the best of both worlds. It's the radio show and the podcast happening all at once. We call this moment the Hannah Montana moment. <laughs> I'm so confused. I didn't watch that show. Again, best of both worlds. <laughs> So we already answered uh, one question that we had first in the lobby. Uh, now we'll ask a question that comes uh, to us from Kyle Kessinger, who is one of our best question askers out in the lobby. He asked this, what movie or movies deserves a sequel? What movie or movies deserves a sequel? This one's hard because these days, if it, if they have any, even a sliver of a chance of making money, they'll make a sequel. Like, I can't remember the last time recently when I saw a movie that didn't get a sequel or wasn't getting a sequel that should have had one. I have one. Oh, you do? Let me look it up. Because I have one, but mine's going to be old. Okay. So this one's a recent one. All right. And when they made it, everyone and their mom thought they were going to do a sequel. Interstellar. No. (laughs) That it didn't get a sequel, even though there's like 17 books in the series. That's right, The Dark Tower. I oh, went there. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they left it open that they could have a conclusion instead of 
having 17 books in one movie make it 17 books in two you could argue though that the reason that it it doesn't deserve a sequel he he specifically says deserves a sequel and that is such a mess that it didn't deserve as someone that didn't read the books it was great (laughs) and it deserves a sequel that's fair that's fair it was oh man that's such a great story and it was so dip- disappointing for someone who's read some of the books. Never read, kids. <laughs> to, Never read. To see them cram all of that into one movie, uh, the Dark Tower movie, with uh, Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. Great cast. Mm-hmm. Great casting. And the Allstate commercial guy. <laughs> the who? <laughs> the guy from the Allstate commercials. He was Idris Elba's dad. Okay, sure. You're, sometimes your pop culture knowledge goes much farther than mine. Oh, Pedro Serrano, <laughs> president. Uh, what's his name? Twenty four. Yes. Okay, I was like he was a president in something else. In twenty four, he's, he's the Allstate. David. Guy. Uh, God, what was his name in twenty four? Anyways, uh, it's been so long, you know. Uh, yeah, Kyle. I would say Goonies. And because there was rumors of it for years, and the the story rumor was that the Goonies were all parents now, and their kids were going to go on an adventure. And I was here for that. And and Kihai Kwan is back now; he's back into acting and doing it well. So, I initially had Goonies come to my mind, but you run the chance of ruining a perfectly great story. I would say. Do it in a manner that's sort of tongue-in-cheek, where you're in on the joke like Cobra Kai did with Karate Kid. So, and then my mind went to Super 8, but then I was like, "No, you'd have J.J. Abrams, J.J. Abrams it up again. <laughs> not today. <laughs> yeah, no, not a, not a fan of that. Although I, I do gravitate towards the older movies. Like, I feel like those are the ones that most... Um, obviously lend themselves to to sequels can there be another sharknado (laughs) no please no (laughs) uh kyle says what about days of thunder so days of thunder was Uh, a tom cruise yeah uh with robert duvall about stock car racing it was about nascar um here's my problem with that Uh, well we're not i guess it's not a problem i mean it's basically top gun in cars you can do this. There's literally not much difference in the story, in the in the basic storyline. He's a maverick. The whole thing is he's he's a great talented driver, but he won't he won't come under leadership. It's the same story. <laughs> and now he's an aging driver. Yeah. Who so, has to take a young gun under his wings. Kyle gives some ideas. He said, how many times did Cole Trickle, which was his name, Cole Trickle, win the Daytona 500? Did he race Robert Duvall to victory lane each time? Did they eat more ice cream? No, uh, Robert Duvall's clearly dead by this one. Oh, yeah. He's a NASCAR pit crew guy in the 80s or whenever that movie came out. And he already was looking kind of unhealthy and old. That dude died of a heart heart condition many years ago. <laughs> Not the actor, mind you. The character. He he smoked a few too many packs of Winstons. Well, it was the Winston Cup back then. Yeah. And that, and he's not around. What about Cole Trickle uh is an aging driver who who couldn't cut it in the car anymore. He couldn't be in the car anymore, so he becomes the crew chief for a younger hotshot driver just like him. Mm. 
I'm here for that. Or this is his farewell tour and he's old and washed up and he has a teammate that's a young gun that's just like him. And you he ha- has to mentor. You, you have to now. If you do this, you have to bring back Carrie Elways. You remember him in this movie? He was the young hotshot driver. Yeah. Um, um, I forget. Well, hold on. I can tell you his name. Russ Wheeler. <laughs> Russ Wheeler. Who sounds like he could be from Chanute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Russ Wheeler. And then there was the older rival, Rowdy Burns. By the days of Thunder People, their naming was on point for like stock car racing. It These was. all sound like legit stock car racers. Cole Trickle. You don't get Nicole Kidman back. Oh, no. She's not. She doesn't want to be part of this. Yes. So then you get Jennifer Conley to appear. Because <laughs> <laughs> there has to be a love interest. You just make it pretty much like the new Top Gun movie. Yeah. As the new Days of Thunder movie, no one will care. You could make the story an exact copy. I'm there. I would watch this movie and it would be great. You'd have another two drivers with a wheelchair race down the hallway of a hospital. I'm on board with this idea, Kyle. Uh, I think if we all pool our money, we could produce this ourselves. How much money you got in your pocket right now, Cody? I have zero doll hairs. We may have to give <laughs> Cody over to the Church of Scientology to make this happen. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's it no, for the lobby. That's it for the lobby. <laughs> Let's get out of here. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed the lobby segment. We're we're getting ready to go now. And then uh, Matt Bogle is getting limbered up. He's stretching out his hammies right now <laughs> uh, to get ready to talk about Thor Love and Thunder. We're going to review that. But first, I thought... Wouldn't it be awesome to get someone else's viewpoints uh, from a particular, just a different vantage point for something in the movie Thor Love and Thunder? You know, I've been saying that for years. Have you? No, not at (laughs) all. That would be a lie. All right. Um, So we're going to have, we get, we're going to go to the geek phone. Geek phone. We have a couple guests um, that are going to, that are going to geek phone in with us. And that would be Rebecca and, and Mike from um the barely saved podcast which if you don't listen to it you might want to click subscribe yeah i was on it once great great folks christian brothers and sisters over there the barely saved podcast anyways clever um, title they're waiting for us right now so to the geek phone all right so we're uh we're on the geek phone uh i'm on the geek phone now this is Listen, this is the first time we've ever had two people on the Geek Phone. The Geek Phone's a party line. <gasps> we didn't know that. Oh. But now the Geek Phone's a party line. Maybe maybe someone, you know, down the gravel road will pick up later and try to use the phone. You ever did you, you guys ever heard of party lines? You guys are probably too young. So back in the day, I'm out in young. the country, if you lived in rural areas, you had something called a party line. And like yeah. it basically meant that multiple households farms or whatever shared the same line and you'd pick up the phone and someone would already be talking. You had to like put it back yeah. down and wait. Yeah. It was like, it was like sharing a phone line in your house, except it was multiple houses that yes. shared the one phone number. Yeah. My grandparents yeah. I'm way too young for that. <laughs> yeah, you are. You're, you're a baby. My grandparents had that and it was uh, interesting. Yeah. I um, just remember my, I, remember, I just remember stories about it. I like never experienced it, but yeah. Um, so I am here with uh, Rebecca Thomas and Mike May. 
And uh, we're on the geek phone. Rebecca and Mike are hosts of the Barely Saved podcast. Deeply irreverent true. and deeply sincere. That's that's what I'm told. I've been on their <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I, I don't believe I was probably deeply irreverent, but I was definitely sincere. Well, maybe not deeply irreverent, but we were. <laughs> we, but we our, the tagline is officially the, the tagline is officially uh, the conversations that real Christians don't have. Because, you know, people question your 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 salvation when you talk about certain things. Yeah. So. Well, I, yeah. I, I asked you guys on because we're, we're reviewing Thor Love and Thunder and uh, we love getting other geeks and I say geeks lovingly uh, their other point of views. And, and so we brought you guys on for like just kind of uh, say you, you're going to talk about something you saw in the movie that you just really wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, here we are. So we're on the geek phone and we're going to let Mike. Mike was really excited when I when I chatted with you on Messenger. So you were excited. really excited about a certain aspect of Thor Love and Thunder. And I'll, I'll just give it up to you. Uh, can you yes. you want to talk about that? Yeah. So the first time I watched it, it this thing stuck out at, at me. Um, and the first time I saw it, I saw it by myself. And then last night uh, on the 12th or whatever, uh, my wife went with me. And I wasn't going to tell her what I was going to talk about on this podcast because I wanted her to experience it like I had experienced it. Uh, but it's how storytelling is deeply wound in the movie Thor, Love and Thunder. Um, and you could see in a few ways. Number one, Korg storytells, uh, I think twice, maybe three times. Once mm-hmm. at the end, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And at first it starts and you're like, okay, that you know, it's Korg. I mean, I love Taika Waititi voicing Korg. Um, and it's interesting. And then the more the movie progresses, you start to see more storytelling throughout the entire movie. There's a scene where um, Axel is storytelling um, to the kids in the cage, team kids in a cage, um, about <laughs> Thor's conquests. And then there's, even in that part, there's a part where Gore then comes out and storytells his own story about the gods. Um, and so there's these little bits of characters telling stories about other characters throughout this whole thing. And it's in a story that basically comes from stories that have been told for like thousands and thousands of years, Mm. because it's all centering around uh, real life mythological gods. And I thought it was just so cool how um, Taika Waititi took this idea of storytelling of sitting around the campfire and telling stories and kind of weaved it into his movie about the those same stories that would have been told throughout all of human history mm-hmm. so i just thought it, i thought it was so cool and i love storytelling so it was awesome yeah i agree i i, th- I think it was one of the really cool parts of this movie in in my list of good things about the movie that was one of them uh the, the storytelling mm-hmm. and like as you said uh we talk about something on our pod all the time um because we're pastors and but we love pop culture that storytelling is like we believe it's a higher form of communication so jesus when god comes to earth he's he's like teaching mostly in story form and just because you can speak so much through it and yeah that was i agree with you mike that was a really really cool uh little aspect and of course it's korg who is just hilarious yeah taika waititi 
uh, getting to like, I imagine that's like Taika, his personality, but like unfiltered. Oh yeah, there, there's no way that they gave him a script for like. There's no way he wrote his own lines, like, or gave himself like written down lines. Right, right. No, if he just oh no, went full YTD. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with you there, Mike. That was really a cool part of that. Um, was there, was there anything else you, you wanted to speak on before I turn it over to Rebecca? Oh man, I mean, I love Taika Waititi. He's yeah, one of my favorite people right now in the mm-hmm. uh, in the film world. Yeah, I'll come uh, back with a couple wrap-up questions super cool. for you. Okay. Uh, cool. uh, after <laughs> okay. after Rebecca does her thing, so Rebecca, um, what yeah. what did you notice about Thor: Love and Thunder? Um, well, I don't want to step on on your your main point of talking about the pod about like the the pagan gods because that's really the thing that jumped out at me because as like the history teacher over here, like I literally taught Greek mythology and like all these things. So, um, but I won't step on that too much. Cause I know you're going to get on, you're going to get into the, well, if so you that's like going to be a big part. If you got well, some I mean, scholarly I some things. Thoughts. Yeah. I, well, like, cause we don't get I, scholarly. I, I, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I think they just did a, uh, okay. So I'll go that route. Um, I, I think they just did a phenomenal job um depicting how like the gods of the of of so many of the world religions and of the different different mythologies and the different pantheons um how they interacted with humanity for the most part you uh, the stories that we see um in the ancient out of the ancient near east out of india out of um china out of like any any of the like early civilizations the the humans are meant are, are are like created to entertain the gods. They are meant as the like um, kind of almost the Pan Am and circuses of of Rome, but like for the gods. And so to have uh, and and they were fickle and like you had to make sure you were doing all the all the correct things. And so um, so they really like sold that well of of this is actually very much accurate i mean clearly uh ytd'd up right like where it's um <laughs> like this next level of um like extravagance or whatever and so yeah. to have zeus be this like eh, i'm gonna sit back and like let humans deal with their stuff um actually is not inaccurate to how the world or how the Greek mythologies worked of like, eh, we had humans, we made them or we, whatever, like different stories and we're hands off and like, we're going to stay safe here. And we're concerned about our own issues. I'm concerned about my own, you know, mistresses. Um, and, and so it really did a good job at demonstrating those things and uh, the fickle nature of, of little G gods. Um, when I was a, a teacher, uh, we did uh, what I would do quizzes for my students. I always said that I was the little G God of the classroom because I, because I could change the rules. I I was fickle. I could do whatever I wanted Um, because we had these like competitions where they used that material from, from the day um, in order to um, uh, like have their quiz at the end of the week. So anyway, cause like I could change, I was fickle, right? Like you, you explained it in, in that way. And so I just think they did a phenomenal job um, with that. And then that deeper, like I know you're going to get into later the the deeper aspect of like well Thor isn't like that Valkyrie isn't like that 
Um, our God isn't like that. So um, Jesus isn't like that. So I think it just lends a lot of weight to religious discussions of, of what, what's the purpose of humanity. Um, and I loved the relationships between like, uh, I love that we kind of saw a little bit of a glimpse of Jane's relationship with Valkyrie um, and her supporting Jane. Um, and, uh, and then also Darcy and Jane together. Like I wanted more Darcy. I have to say that might be my biggest critique as I was really disappointed that we didn't get more Darcy. Um, <laughs> right, even though she was right, in yeah. WandaVision, I was like, more Darcy. Darcy's um, the comedic uh, balm that that movie that we needed more of. Yeah, for right. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me ask you a question because uh, Rebecca, you're a pastor. Mike, are you a pastor too? Or are you just yes, a, he is. I am a pat. Am I? Am I? Okay. <laughs> you are, yes, you are, Mike. He's, okay. he's, he, he is credentialed. He's not currently in a ministry position. He is a pastor. So I believe uh, Taika is an atheist, right? Taika Waititi? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Do you believe that he was trying to, to make a commentary on faith? And do you believe he was successful at it? Because as a Christian, as I was sitting there watching this movie, I had much of the same thoughts that you were just talking about, Rebecca, which is... Yeah, right. Like, yeah, this yeah. is the problem with most <laughs> of our myths and gods of the past and of lore. And this is why, like, every Christian should be watching this movie. Like, yeah, this is what makes uh, the Bible something different. And and it was yeah. really, it was really just it, that leapt off the screen for me because basically, Gore is Job without faith, without a right. God, without that hope, loves him, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and exactly. so I'm, I'm curious to know if like my hunch is, and I'm, I'm curious to see if you agree with this is that I think Taika may have been trying to maybe make a commentary on gods and faith. And I don't think it worked. I actually think it backfires because he's actually giving you the reason why. Yeah. All these lowercase G gods that we've believed in over time. Um, mm-hmm. There was a reason why that was different. There's a reason why that's almost unanimously human history. What we thought of gods. And then there's, there's, there's one that's different and and that's right. the Judeo Christian God. Yeah. I, um, I had a thought and then my daughter came out and the cat distracted me. <laughs> so Mike, if you had a thought, this thing, I, 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 I had I a good one. Um, <laughs> so, so actually, so my wife and I on our way back from the theater last night, she was like, I hate to get all Christian on this movie, <laughs> but like, doesn't it just like prove the point? And right. Yeah, it I, does. And I think that that is kind of like the um, the weird parallelness. I want to be careful before I get angry or people <laughs> get angry at me. The weird parallel parallelness between um, true devotion of Yahweh and atheism is, I think, in a very broad sense, there are some very similar ideas like yeah. that. Throughout all human history, these gods have been fickle. These gods have like uh, destroyed things and, you know, wars were waged or whatever. And uh, not that we didn't, you know, uh, haven't done do those things that. in history. I would say not, not that Christians haven't been perfect. Um, but, and so the, the idea of atheists is well, maybe we just need to move on from gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and the worshipers of Yahweh are like, isn't it time to just move on from gods to the one true God? And so it's like this weird kind of like parallelness of like a different, 
finale, a different uh, response to the same kind of questions almost, Mm -hmm. in in my opinion. And from what I see now with um, like talking with my Gen Z brother and talking with college students, um, that was my last appointment was in a college ministry um, and seeing like how the questions that I think people are asking now are very much you could go the atheist route or follow God. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and I think that's kind of really shown in this is like, it kind of is the same answer, but just two different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it almost shoots him in the foot because, uh, you know, kind of in the first uh, parts of the Marvel of the MCU, they kind of danced around is Thor a God? Do we consider Thor a God or not? Or like they're going to around that space alien is right. Um, or is he a just superhuman or is he like, what is he? Um, and then they really leaned into that in, uh, in Ragnarok, right? Like it was like, no, he's a God. So then to have this narrative of the gods are fickle, the gods can be trusted. They don't care about anybody. They don't all these things. When your main hero is also a God, like it, it's, mm. it's set. It's almost like it's set taika up to have to um like have this like oh this is this is the problem with gods but also oh here's the solution is is compassion and mercy and benevolence and like this god who you know who fulfilled it um (laughs) and um also i just have to also say for the record so what mike saw it before i did and i texted him and i said hey would this be a pro give me your opinion on if this would be appropriate for me to take my, our oldest daughter to for context. She's the only Marvel movie that she has seen in theaters is black widow because we saw it first and thought, okay, she can handle it. There's not a ton of gore, like all these things. Right. And so Mike came back and gave me his opinion and we then watched it. And Nate and I were like, this is why we take Mike's opinion on appropriateness of movies for children with a huge <laughs> heap of salt because like kids in cages being kidnapped by shadow monsters out of I, their bed. No, I said that like, in the tech. I said as much as I could in the text without giving away plot points. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was like, gets uh... upset when I don't preference things with this is my opinion of the brand new movie. Skip it if you don't want to hear me talk about it. Well, I took my uh, oldest three without asking anybody. So if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> but it was just really funny. We were like, oh, man. No, yeah, definitely not. Um, was that in the group chat or was that in a one-on-one? Uh, that was in the, in the group chat. And I said, I okay. don't think that I would take her. I think I said that. Well, um, maybe. I, I don't want to take up uh, too much of you guys' time. So I'm going to ask you one yeah. follow-up question here. <laughs> Out of out of ten, give me your rating for Thor: Love and Thunder, and and a couple few sentences of why. I'm completely blinded by my love for Taika Waititi. Be quiet. Uh, so definitely an eight. <laughs> definitely an eight. All right, Taika <laughs> Waititi absolute, love. Absolutely blinded by him. <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, man, he's brilliant. I think he's genius. Mike's bias is. I'm is so showing. biased. Everything he's put out, I've just thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Rebecca? That's awesome. Um, I would say. Between six and a half and seven. All right. Because I think it did. Uh, I think there's, there's still, there was maybe a little bit too much of the levity that detracted from some of the like deeper co- communications about like Jane's story about like what it means to um, 
to like love after grief. Um, what it means to like, I think they could have, uh, lessened some of the like total obnoxiousness. Um, but I, I think that they still like address some really awesome themes that would be good to discuss with like younger humans. Awesome. Well, I, I'm, I, you're going to agree with a lot of things that I end up saying, uh, later on and here in our pod. So, um, <laughs> Thank you so much, you guys. This uh, Rebecca yeah, and anytime. Mike from the Barely Saved podcast. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to have you back soon. Yeah, that'd be fun. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, we'll see you later. Thanks, man. Thank you. Okay, welcome back. That was fun. We went to the Geek Phone. Got yeah. a, got some uh, alternative uh, vantage points, and they boy, they went. They're very scholarly over there at the Barely Saved podcast. Oh yeah, they put me to shame. Yeah, I felt a little. <laughs> I cannot add much to this conversation. You're out of your element. We're in the regular review section here for us. Just like that are going to yell about the movie. Yeah. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> this was a good movie. Yeah. Well, okay. We always start off Matt uh, with the broad, just kind of a broad take on the movie. So I'll just run through like a, a short minute long synopsis here. Uh, basically, the conceit of this movie is that there is a creature named Gore who loses his daughter at the beginning uh, in what you assume to be a famine on his world. Drought, yeah. something like that. Drought, yeah. famine. Um, and he is clearly a devout guy as you see him praying and then his daughter dies and he has a run in with a god in an oasis who then is pretty cruel, which is kind of the setup for the movie, which is that uh, the necro sword, which just happens to be there uh, in this little oasis um, calls out to Gore and Gore becomes something else. He's, he's just a, a villainous guy who wants to kill all like the tag. He has the tagline right there at the beginning. It's the intro of the movie where he says, all gods must die. Um, which is kind of the conceit of the movie, which eventually is going to put him on a path to be uh, coming after Thor, who uh, of course is in our mythological stories uh, of yore, uh, particularly in the Nordic regions. Um, so it puts him on a path of, of coming after Thor. They, they, he attacks new Asgard, kidnaps a bunch of kids uh, as bait to, to lure Thor in uh, and Thor Korg and uh, Jane Foster and Valkyrie go after him and the adventure ensues basically. So that's kind of just a broad uh, synopsis. Do we have any broad takes on the movie in general that we'd like to get out here before we get into our favorite scenes? What was good? What was bad? Okay, I'll go first. Um, go, go ahead. Cody. So I will say that I loved it just because the storytelling. So I've heard a lot of people say they're over Taika, but I will say it felt different than Thor Ragnarok. And it felt a lot like the storytelling of Princess Bride. Okay. And I was here for that because mm -hmm. it is. It has some serious stakes within it, but it's viewed through a childlike lens. Mm -hmm. And so you don't really get too heavy 
you just keep it fun and light and the heavy things are a little scary for a little bit. And then, Oh, the good guys win the day. Can I we, love it. Can we at least agree that it's through a very young child lens? <laughs> well, with the narrator being Korg and Korg's like demeanor throughout his time yeah, in the MCU yeah. has been very young childlike. Yeah. So, yeah, all right, Matt, um, just broad feelings about the movie. Broad feelings about the movie. It was, um, I, I agree with Cody. It was, um, different than the last movie. So I don't think he, he didn't try to, I thought I was worried. He was just going to try to be funny and, and do the, the same thing. I, I thought he did a good job of, um, the storytelling part of it, mm-hmm. you know, that I think our last people had mentioned. And, um, it, um, um, it was just a good fun filled movie. Yeah. I don't think there was, it was, there was nothing too serious. Um, I know people have tried to take it serious with, Oh, I would agree that it's a, it's a very fun movie. Like before I even get to like, whether uh, like I would give it a grade, I would say, Hey, it's fun. It's definitely that you can't take it away. Taika is a genius. I believe he's genius. I think he's brilliant. Like, um, and, th- and we're going to get into some things later where I think it's highly subjective, you know? So what I would, so like the, 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 the whole, uh, Jane and Thor, like, you know, meeting each other again, like, uh, you know, the, and the scene where he's trying to figure out what's going on and then it turns and, and you see the house burning down mm-hmm. just th- that sort of, uh, fun <laughs> feel of. Yeah. So Taika, um, uh, for lack of a better word, I would place Taika's um, comedic comedic thing as absurdist. Would you agree with that, Cody? He's very absurdist style comedy. Oh, yeah. I mean, whether it's uh, what we do in the shadows, uh, the Thor movies or um, our flag means death, I he he has some uh, absurd moments that make some comedic gold yeah that's yeah i agree with that yeah okay so like uh, i think we're all in the same place um as far as it's a fun movie uh i'm always glad to go watch an mcu movie so i hope anything i say later on doesn't give anyone the idea that i think the mcu is a train wreck or something we're gonna get to that uh, that we had one news item we're at least saving for the end of the pod today spoilers spoilers um but let's just move on to what some of our favorite scenes or things about this movie were um would you would you like me to go first oh sure why okay, not please um the movie opens with the hopelessness of gore it really shows uh, gore for lack of a of a better uh narrative connection here gore is, is really job the biblical Job, but without hope, without faith. Uh, he has placed his faith. We see a gore who has lots of faith at the very beginning of the movie, uh, but we catch him. We don't really understand. Um, I, I'm trying very hard to look at this through the lens of let's pretend I haven't read any comic books that I'm just seeing this movie. So we don't really get any kind of backstory on anything about him other than we meet him when they're dying. Gore is dying and his daughter is with him and she's dying and she dies. And he clearly is uh, emotionally affected by that. And then um, finds this oasis with um, this, uh, this God 
Rapu. Rapu, is that his name? Yeah. Well, he's very not cool. Uh, no, uh, but he had just killed the guy with the sword before. Um, so he was happy. I think that Gore is a wonderful, wonderful character. And, and, and played by Christian Bale, who's oh, he's just amazing. amazing. Yeah. yeah. He, every scene that he's in, you're just locked on him. And what a, what a pleasure and delight to have Christian Bale be a character in the MCU and that it's Gore, which I've been excited about for some time. And Gore's just a very fascinating character. He was creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Christian Bale really pulled that off. Yeah. Very well. And like I saw an interview where he said that he saw the comics and was like, I had to slim down for a different movie role. So I couldn't bulk back up because uh, I was still making that movie. And uh, even without him being Dwayne the Rock Johnson and muscles, it he did a great job. Yeah. I, I love the way it's just it's a cold open. Right, it's cold open. You're just in it. Uh, in fact, I heard some people say they didn't even realize the movie had started. <laughs> oh no, I really didn't. What? Yeah, it, it, you were like, oh, this, oh, it's here. Yeah, it's yeah, going. this is it. You're going, and um, he Taika shoots that in a very interesting way because you're kind of upside down looking at Gore's shadow on a very parched landscape, and mm-hmm. so you get uh, the feeling you're supposed to get right away that there's a drought, there's no water probably no food and this is a bad situation. Uh, so the utter hopelessness is, is played out through other ways without him having to like, you know, say this is planet, whatever, you know, there's no exposition needed. And I, so I thought that was a really great open. Okay. I, I won't disagree with that. I really loved the opening and I was one of those that did not think that the movie had started. I'm like, what is this? Is this the prequel to Mad Max? <laughs> yeah. Literally, because that's the type of landscape it is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but no, it was not. It was this movie. And so um I really enjoyed that. A scene that I really, really enjoyed. Oh man, there's so many in this movie. But, well, we, we can we'll be able to list as many off as you want. But we'll just I'll, keep going I'll until start we off run, with run um, Korg and his friend Dwayne. <laughs> 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 that like uh, was just—it's a throwaway comedic moment. It it's, was, it's, it's, but it's—it it's is kind of hilarious. A flash in the pan moment literally takes two seconds, but the comedic genius shows itself right there. Yeah, and I died laughing in the theater. And and, and there's there's I mean there's a clever Dwayne the Rock Johnson joke there yes Mm -hmm. um so (laughs) yeah Dwayne is fantastic that is a hilarious joke and um yeah I laughed really hard when I saw that uh but let's talk about Korg as narrator which um our guests our friends our barely saved brethren if you will uh talked about uh as a storytelling device then having the narrator be Korg is really, really awesome and genius. I think it's another one of the things I really liked about this movie. It was a, it was a good choice. I thought by Taika to make Korg the narrator. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? Um, with Korg as the narrator. Uh, yeah. It gave, like you'd mentioned a moment ago, it gave that child perspective mm-hmm. of, 
of fun. And he's just hilarious. You know, yeah. Jane Funder, Jane Fonda. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, that was a running gag. So he inter- introduces her as Jane Fonda. And then as, uh, uh, what, what was the next one? He, he introduces her as, I think the first one was Jane Funder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> It don't change it, it's just so so good yeah korg is hilarious his storytelling throughout the any it's a handful of times where he will lead off a scene uh giving kind of a setting up what's about to follow and it's always hilarious and i i found that to be quite charming yeah it was clever it was fun again it set the whole tone and the lens the movie should be viewed from yeah uh, Matt, give me a scene or something you liked about the movie. Favorite thing or scene? Favorite scene would be uh, the fight scene between uh, Zeus's uh, guard um, and Zeus throwing his thunder thunderbolt. I'm giving away the movie here, but throwing his thunderbolt. And oh yeah, Korg. we're spoiling the nerd out of this. Okay, yeah, full spoilers. Okay, and and Cord goes down, and and <laughs> Thor just goes. Uh, well, he catches a thunderbolt and kills Zeus, yeah. right? As not really, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and puts a hole in Zeus. Anyways. You're like, no, not Korg. <laughs> yeah. Did everybody in the theater go? <gasps> yeah. At the exact same moment when Korg starts falling apart. Um, I, I think it was the most affecting scene as far as not fun in the my, maybe the whole movie. You're just like, oh no, no, my heart, my heart was like. <laughs> Wait, he's narrating. How's he narrating if he's dying? My <laughs> wife literally starts to get teary eyed. <laughs> and then Korg talks. And then she's Poor like, Leah. Oh, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> like, the only thing alive is their mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that was gold. Gold stuff right there. Literally all over, splashing <sighs> gold. Uh, um, yes. One of my favorite scenes is the introduction of Jane Foster as the mighty Thor. Um, So the way Taika put this scene together uh, by giving us little glimpses and sounds of Mjolnir sounds, we find familiar. And it's almost like this. I'm not so sure. I liked the aspect of Mjolnir as ex girlfriend ex whatever i i i kind of got bored and tired of that kind of banter that back and forth with thor and his hammers slash axes um but this scene where thor is catching glimpses and hearing mjolnir it's almost like when you were younger and you were around an ex and you heard their voice or something and you're, and you're looking around like this was this was a genius scene uh to set that up yeah and I really think it was done in such a way that was so effective. Uh, as I watched it again today, I really, I don't think I noticed it as much the first time, but just the sounds of Mjolnir, the the brief glimpses he's getting of lightning and stuff where you understand like, oh, it's Mjolnir. <laughs> and it, it sort of, you said girlfriend, but I honestly took it more like, like a, a horse that you grew up with that you loved. It was part, you know, you, yeah. you did a ton of stuff and like, I hear its footsteps. I hear it, you know, uh, yeah. it's back. Um, yeah, beloved well, family pet. It's weird because they make you know his hammer and Stormbreaker the axe kind of sentient in a way. Yeah, like in doing this kind of trick. But uh, it's the 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 introduction to that, while also introducing Jane Foster as the Mighty Thor, uh, was really effective. It yes. does a good job with a callback to Ragnarok, though, 
because Odin's like, are you Thor, God of hammers? <laughs> and because Thor literally was so obsessed with the hammer, he forgot that he's the God of thunder. And the thing I really loved about Ragnarok is you get to see like Thor unleashed in which you yeah. don't see until that movie where it's like, Oh, this is what I imagined Thor doing. And yeah. so uh, this movie, I, 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 I actually liked the hammer jokes. Hammer jokes were funny for me. Um, the first couple times, I'd agree. I, I, I just feel like it plays out a little bit too long. But um, yeah, the first, it was funny. They beat that dead horse. To yeah, I, we'll get to this later on. But yeah, like none of the comedy in and of itself rubbed me the wrong way. It was funny. At some point, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I don't want to. I don't want to get negative yet. Okay. <laughs> So we're talking about things we liked. <laughs> the thing that I uh, really liked was, again, it's another absurdist moment, but it's Thor's meditating. And then the guardians are like, Thor, we need you. And then he goes into battle and destroys this holy temple. <laughs> and everyone is thankful at first. And then the temple falls down and, they're like, oh, and then they become. He becomes Thor, god of destruction, yeah, instead of <laughs> Thor, god of thunder. Well, and the and the quote is too. It's we need your help to win this battle. And Korg, the storyteller, the narrator, says that he's like just waiting for someone to say we need your help to win this battle, so, right? And so, um, yeah, the Star Lord, Inter Star Lord, who says Thor, we need your help to win this battle, and he kind of like lights up, right? He's oh. looking for this. He's looking for someone to need him. So really, I I just thoroughly enjoyed the brief glimpses of as guardians of the galaxy because mm. I thought there was great chemistry between the Chris's. Yeah. And even the weird handshake that turned into a snake <laughs> that you can't trust. Oh, we needed more, though. We needed more. Guardians, in my opinion, they they get shuttled off too quickly for my taste. I agree with that. I really feel they could have done a whole movie where they're like doing stuff, and then finally we get to a point where we're we're tired of having Thor with us. Let's be our own heroes and do our own thing. But yeah. Thor giving Chris Pratt back his spaceship. Great. <laughs> Are you giving me my own spaceship? Wow. <laughs> Uh, Matt, what was another th thing you liked or scene you liked? Um, uh, so I'm taking the talk about being fun, but uh, um, the whole, just the theme of Jane Foster, she's dying, mm -hmm. and she knows it. Uh, you know, Thor makes they try to make it fun, but um, and the ending that uh, when he is talking to Gore Christian Bell. And walks away, and he said, how dare you turn your back on me? And he said, why would I waste my time with you? You've won. I'm going to spend my last moments with her. Mm -hmm. And that love wins in yeah. the end. Yeah. yeah. He says, uh, it's not death or revenge you seek. Yeah. You seek love. Yeah. And basically, that turns uh, the tide at the uh, eternity wishing well or eternity as it were. Um, but yeah, like the, the, but first the, the whole Jane Foster storyline is great. Yeah. 
Um, I didn't know how, how I was going to like that. Um, because in the comic books, um, it's pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty heavy storyline and, um, it should be heavier here. And they try, I think Taika tries to, uh, but there's uh, not enough time. Yeah. There's just, yeah, it's, it feels constrained and there's weird joking in the middle of it that kind of, that we'll get to later. But I thought Jane Foster as a character was awesome. I thought she was a welcome addition back. Yeah. Yeah. Her being in this story with her circumstances was great. So I'm going to be a wild card. Oh, you're going to be a Okay. And say, I actually really liked the scene where she reveals she has cancer to Thor. Mm-hmm. That I kn- I've seen tons of people complain about that scene that there just wasn't like enough time to process or whatever. No, like life is happening, yes. and you don't always get to uh, convey and construct how it is going to. Uh, people didn't shake. think that was heavy enough. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, that's, that's I saw that from her stand from her character standpoint, though. I got that. Yeah, I, I didn't think I didn't have a problem with that. I will say that, like, literally working in mental health that ah life happens even in the middle of fun things uh even in the middle when you're reconnecting and having a great time oh i have cancer and it was such an abrupt moment where like you kind of awkward laugh at first and then you're like oh taika really made you feel a wide range of emotions in 10 seconds yeah uh, the screaming goats, <laughs> just <laughs> hilarious. Uh, that gag, uh, that was one that I kept. I didn't mind him coming back to. Keep going back to that well, Tyka, because that's um, that's never going to be not funny. The screaming goats was hilarious. I mean, literally when they first popped up, I'm like, this reminds me of when uh, Taylor Swift released that one song, and everyone <laughs> kept replacing her voice with either the hand towel dispenser or the screaming goats. The, the screaming goats are the thing I laughed second hardest at through the course of the movie. Um, and the gag of them running into that little asteroid type planet, just the best. Instead <laughs> <laughs> of hitting that planet and then, ah! <laughs> just. So stinking funny. Uh, yeah, the goats were great. E- even even like everything surrounding the goats, like with the Guardians and Nebula trying to shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> Nebula just being over the top crouchy is just was chef's kiss. It was so perfect. Um, and that was, you know, because the Guardians don't get much, man. They're pretty paper thin in this. But ne- <laughs> Nebula's part and all that. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not her perfect yeah perfect yeah um although like when mantis has to whistle (laughs) 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 no no, that wasn't it (laughs) oh man yeah the guardians for what for the little bit you get of them uh were were great were wonderful and i just i wanted more although with what we're going to talk about here in a little bit maybe leaving us wanting more may have been better um, cause I think there are some places where Taika gets himself in trouble, but let's keep talking about the good things. The Asgardian kids fighting to the guitar solo in November rain by guns and roses yes. makes me want to get out of my seat and yell. I saw it in an empty theater this afternoon before we recorded this for the second. So I saw this movie for the second time and man, that scene is amazing. First of all, the dialogue in that scene is perfection. This is why like Taika frustrates me in this movie, but then there's just this like moments of real brilliance. 
the little speech Thor gives where he's, he's being real serious. And he's like, uh, to all those who are worthy, I grant you the power on a limited basis of Thor. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, and then their eyes light up and you see the lightning go out to them. And it's just, that scene's amazing. The tree of life, you know, yeah. the usage of guns and roses, um, in this movie, uh, was, was a great part of it. Axel slash Astrid, (laughs) (laughs) who is clearly a GNR fan. Yes. Which, so I looked at my wife, during that scene with the kids because I tried to push for our wedding to be in November and have us walk down to November rain (laughs) or walk out to November rain. That is a downer of a song to walk out to in a wedding. I'm going to tell you that, but I'm like, this could be epic. We got married in October. (laughs) Leah one now on that smart woman. (laughs) Listen, I'm just going to say this when they do that, when that slow motion charge happens, I get the same feelings as I get watching like gladiator or Braveheart. Same, same goosebumps. I was like, this is fantastic. Um, so a more recent movie, I'd say in game when everyone assembles. Yes. I, a- I felt that same feeling, yeah. except this time I'm feeling it with the kids. And I just thought, wow, wow, that's brilliant. Uh, yeah. that was that whole scene, uh, with the kids is great. I also love the use of Inya. <laughs> Only in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which Taika's music choices are on point. Yes. So yes. him and James Gunn do this well. Yep. Mm-hmm. He he goes with the GNR theme, which doesn't. It's not quite up there with the Zeppelin. Like cause clearly the 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 ride of the Valkyries and all that, and Valhalla and and that connection that that song had uh, in Ragnarok is a little bit more on the nose. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you can't go wrong with the, with the guns and roses. I say you can't go. My son Thor is like listening to guns and roses over and over now. He's like this huge, I'm like, yes, that is amazing. He loves it. Also it bears repeating. Matt has a son named Thor. (laughs) Yes. He has blonde hair and it once was long. Right. And he's going to back out long. He's going to back out. Okay. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I was really sad when I saw he cut it off. I was like, what? No. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so that scene was great. Cody, do you have another one? Do you have another thing you want to talk about? Because I've got a couple more. Uh, you know, I'm just going to say the whole movie. <sighs> let's <laughs> let's talk about Russell Crowe for a minute. A house divided here. I can feel it. Oh, it is. Yeah, we're getting there. You can feel the tension. <laughs> yes. you? Uh, Russell Crowe, this is an absurdist comedy. I mean, this movie is an absurdist comedy. And Taika's really great at that. Like, again, I feel like I want to keep saying that because I want, when I get to the negative stuff, I want people to realize, hey, this is still fun. It's a fun movie, and I'm not mad that I, I spent money to go see this. Okay? Twice. Twice. Yeah. Um, but even in, in an absurd comedy, Russell Crowe seems Oscar-worthy. Like, him as Zeus, he, it just he was amazing. And I laughed the hardest. I laughed in this movie. The second time was his scene. Um, like when he's spinning the lightning bolt. Oh, when he's d- <laughs> coming down the stairs. Yeah. He's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a play on the, the, the person that, what is the person baton. in the parade? The baton. Yeah. The baton thrower. And well, first of all, when he's stepping down, when Thor has directly challenged him and he comes down, he does that little spin. He just kind of does that little pose like a model at the end of a catwalk. <laughs> 
and literally lifts up his tunic or tutu tutu whatever it is and oh he is perfection and i just want to say we just don't deserve russell crowe he's amazing uh not so and he needs to be in more comedy because he owned that scene and in what is like if on paper, that's ridiculous. Like it, that's just, a re- if you went to any serious actor and said, we want you to do this, like it, how's Tom Hanks taking that? Like, come on, man. Are you serious? Russell Crowe sells it and just is oh, it like you said, owned it. Yeah. Owns I mean, it. Um, and then with the, just the acting ability he has, he's able to shift the tone when him and Thor are talking about like, yes, this is scary. Scaring yeah. people's not good for business. In a way, he embodies Zeus in an absurdist way that's actually right on point because Zeus is in mytho- mm-hmm. mythology is unpredictable. That's what makes him dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was fantastic. He was just great. Um in credit scene, Hercules. Oh, I was so excited. Played by Brett Goldstein, who is just perfect choice it was perfect choice and if we do not get the follow-up movie that they're implying here i will never forgive marvel like kevin feige seriously i i would rather someone besides taika got a shot at this one but i wouldn't be mad as long as you make it because i need a brett goldstein played hercules towing up against chris hensworth's thor because that's fantastic yes um you did spark a scene for me. Oh, that. you have another scene? Yes. And it's the actors. Oh, a favorite thing. That just the acting in general? No. No, the actors. Oh, Chris Hemsworth's oh, brother. Chris Hemsworth's brother and, and, and Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. They're back. <laughs> Michelle and McCarthy. And, <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, I'm yeah, sorry. Melissa, yeah. The inappropriateness of them coming to Valkyrie, <laughs> King Valkyrie, after the kids have been stolen, to be like, uh, we never know this might not be the right time, but we need entertainment. <laughs> that had Gal Gadot singing uh, Imagine Vibes, and it was perfect. I, so perfect. I did not hear King Valkyrie say no. That's right, yeah. <laughs> they're, like, and they're like, on it. For Asgard. <laughs> Let's go put together our, our, our play. Oh, man. And yeah. Sam Neill owned that scene where he's yes. like... Throwing, throwing the glitter. glitter. Oh, <laughs> I'm disappearing. It's happening. <laughs> and then he crawling <laughs> off on all fours. Oh man, it's so that. Yeah, you're right. That absolutely was great. Um, anything else before we get to the scenes that could have been better? I'm out. Okay. All right. C- C- uh, Cody, I should say before I start in on the scenes that could have been better. Do you have any thing that you thought could have been better? Oh. I'll let you go first. You're putting me on the spot. Trying to think. Uh, Listen, it's okay. It, we're going to get to the grading of this movie, and you're going to really like it. And I'm going to say to anyone listening, it's okay. This is highly subjective. Um, Maybe I will chime in on one of yours and be like, yeah, that could have been better. Okay. Because right now I'm thinking, ah, oh, this was just a good flick through and through. All right. Give me the mic because it's about to go down. Let's talk about Gore for a second. All right. Gore as a comic book character is amazing. He's one of Thor's best villains. And what makes Gore so 
awesome of a villain in the comic books is that he just whoops, he whoops up on Thor several times and not just Thor, but like they come at him in groups and he still whoops them. Um, he's formidable. He's a threat and he's a threat because he's, he's lost everything and he's no, he has no hope, which makes him a nihilist. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not holding onto anything, but vengeance mm, reminds me of the big Lebowski. <laughs> so let's talk about Gore because we don't get much to flesh him out. The necrosword, the necrosword calls out to Gore. Why? Because it knows. We get no explanation. He's no worthy. exposition, nothing about the necrosword. And I suspect this has more to do with Sony that it does with Marvel. If you don't know the necrosword and Gore himself with the necrosword, the power of the necrosword has a deep, huge connection to venom and that the symbiote that affects uh, Eddie Brock to become venom. And so not having that to be able to play with in their sandbox really hurts the backstory of Gore. Uh, So that's first and foremost. I feel like not really having any sort of information about the Necrosword decreases the threat of Gore. Now, um, Gore does Gore is known as Gore, the God butcher, and that's referenced in the movie, which means that's not just a comic book thing you're referencing in the movie. Here's the problem with that. We don't see him butcher any gods. It all takes place off camera. He gets, in the very first where he gets the sword, it's kind of a luck thing where the sword just comes to him and he stabs an unsuspecting God who didn't expect that to happen. It's not really a mark of what makes Gore dangerous. It's just a, a matter of like un, unexpected events, right? So we see him kill that first God and then all the others dumped in exposition through the Guardians of the Galaxy's video screen, I guess, and these distress calls. The problem with all this butchering that takes place off camera is you don't, you don't establish how much of a threat he is. And it, and it actually hurts later parts of the movie that these moments that should have carried more weight, which was badly needed because there's so much humor you needed. What made, what made Ragnarok so great is that the movie starts off with Odin dying, finding out his sister's back and she's a psychopath and very powerful Mjolnir gets destroyed. Like there are heavy stakes. Asgard gets destroyed. He loses an eye for goodness sakes. He gets literally loses an eye. The stakes in Ragnarok feel heavy, feel real. And the stakes of this movie, it's we're going to get to this more, but especially as it pertains to gore, it doesn't land. In fact, the comedy is such a distraction at times. The scene with Gore and the kids in the cage was great. It's great because it's fun, but is it great as a character builder? I would say no, because again, it's funny. You see Christian Bale just being amazing. Um, it's clever, but again, you see him being delicate with the kids, even though he's kind of scary. He rips the head off of the creature and, but he, he tells them the story about, I had a, I knew a girl just like you once and you give him, unfortunately, unexpected heart in that scene, which Gore should not have. 
He's a nihilist. He's lost all hope and has no faith or hope to fall back on, which makes him, that's what makes him dangerous. It's what makes him a threat. And so by doing that, because you wanted to make a comedic scene, it almost undercuts again, the threat of gore. It doesn't make sense. If you're shaking your head, no, but tell me why. Did we see the same ending? He has to have some compassion, even nihilist. Okay, but my argument would be, Cody, that because you don't make him more of a threat, the ending loses power. I think that it gives the ending more credibility. Let me let me let me, see where let, me let me ask you a question. At the end of Return of the Jedi. When, when Vader takes off his helmet, he's he's killed the Emperor. Theoretically. Not really, spoilers. Um this and, guy's and, and Darth Vader. What makes that so powerful? What makes that so powerful? That turn. I don't really have any like so you're talking to the wrong. Would person. it be less powerful if we saw signs of heart from Darth Vader previously up to that point? Uh, he hadn't killed them and theoretically he should have been able to wipe the floor with them for two movies. Okay, but you're you're making some some pretty long connect the dots there. Up to that point, Darth Vader is just a killing machine with no feeling. Correct? He literally he, had breakfast with them. <laughs> okay. I, well, a little bit you got uh, he says I am your father. He acknowledges earlier. And then he chops his hand off. Correct. Well, I uh, for nine. I I'm just saying <laughs> I think the ending is even more powerful if you don't undercut it by undercutting the threat of gore. I, and I, my thought, because you know comic book gore so well, I can see it. I, I, mm. uh, they didn't flesh him out enough. Right. And that's where it hurts. Yeah. So gore never wins one conflict. Never. And he's used to just killing, killing, killing. Yeah. They retreat. That first fight. He doesn't win. They retreat to save Valkyrie's life on the, like the little asteroid planet. And he thieves Stormbreaker as they're running away. So by doing that, by, by not showing Gore being quote unquote, a God butcher and him just kind of stealing Stormbreaker, you don't make Gore a threat. You make Thor inept. He's inept. Gore's not a threat. Thor's inept. I, I still disagree. I, I mean, you you can disagree so, that you're right, but the for me, I, I agree with both of you that yeah. like for Gore, although he's a nihilist, he does have a motivation, and it is the gods weren't there for when my daughter died, and so the daughter has to keep getting brought up. There's a motivation for it. I I'm, what and, I'm saying is I know that's there, Cody, and that. Again, when you view it through, like, if um, the childlike framework, that scene is scary. Like, he literally rips the head off, and then the head goes bouncing around. The kids are all scared. It's played for laughs as an adult, but as a kid in the theater, I don't know if you're getting chuckles out of that scene. He's clearly not menacing, though, in that scene, In as far as I don't think... I don't think a kid would look at that and think he's going to harm those kids. And he doesn't want to harm the kids. He wants to harm the God that's set to protect the kids. But see, that's my problem. The kids are a trap by giving him that little bit of heart. 
you undercut the menacing portion. And again, I think makes the ending more affecting. It's more affecting to see him totally gone and, and being just the most dangerous of a dangerous person. There's no one more dangerous than a person with no hope. Okay. No one. I think we see that in our day-to-day society with mass shootings. That's what these people have in common. They don't, they've lost hope. And, and, and I think that that is what makes someone that kind of someone scary. It's never apparent to me that Gore has completely lost hope. Yeah. And, and it's because they've, they've Taika has spliced in all this comedy. And then that, I mean, there is a little bit of heart in that scene. I, I think that he's being cerebral and more about the mission than that particular moment. It's the end goal. The end goal is to get Thor. It's not to kill the kids. Yeah. It's all about killing Thor. Okay. Okay. So here's what. I, so the uh, the way they the, the comic book gore put into this movie reminds me of comic book Spawn and the Spawn movie. How they ruined Spawn. Um, I don't know if you know the background. I'm, that it's one. been a while. I know and, I watched that movie at and, some point. And uh, Spawn is he's lost everything, mm-hmm. and he rips people to pieces in the movie. They make it look like he's just. So they they I, I I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I don't know how you put that in the movie in that time frame. I mean, yeah, you almost well, have to give its own backstory. There's movie. a larger discussion here of now this movie and Multiverse of Madness have been shorter than your than the MCU movies had been. Um, it might just be that I am a, the reason I am gravitating more to the Disney Plus series is because there's more time to flesh out character, and right. I enjoy that. Again, highly subjective. Like mm-hmm. I'm not mad at anyone that went to this movie and thought, oh, that was great. Um, but for me, these are just some issues I had with this movie. I will also point out that the MCU is notorious for changing backgrounds and the complete story of villains, a.k.a. Iron Man 3. Yeah, the Mandarin. The Mandarin. Yeah. Uh, they did it with Taskmaster in Black Widow, which yeah. a lot of people are still upset about. <laughs> um, yeah. I, the comedy in this, it is the second part of this is the comedy. I feel at some point Taika was trolling in this movie. I wonder, you know, Taika is a kind of a self-professed geek like us. But is he, though? Is he a lover of this material? Because I almost feel like this movie is trolling your comic book nerds that really love the character of Thor. Yeah. Sort of like you said last week with the Duffer brothers, you, you changed how you said that they, they weren't making fun. They were, they were paying homage. homage. Right, 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 right. There's a definite different feel of what he's doing in this movie. Uh, let's take the character of Thor um, by making Thor into this kind of bumbling comedic character nonstop. Like I don't have a problem with comedy. Like Ragnarok was great. Ragnarok was hilarious and good. They were serious for goodness sakes. Star Lord appears to be like the most mature guy ever standing next to Thor, which is a complete reversal of what you should have. Star Lord is the one who's painfully immature. Star Lord is the one who has self image issues. But standing next to this version of Thor, he seems like he's got it all together. And well, Thor is the idiot. Right? This version of Thor doesn't have a guiding light or a beacon to focus on. He's just 
kind of there. Well, but that's in which they address at the beginning through uh, the narration that he was without purpose that literally he's just there for the next battle my problem isn't that they don't exposit why he's you know that he is there my problem is why the thor in the comics is a very serious character and then again it's not to say that like i didn't love i love taika's thor ragnarok i love that there was this sort of irreverent humor he brought into it but there was this, let me put it like this. Have you ever seen, you watch the Austin Powers movies? Yeah. Okay. The third movie, gold member. Mm-hmm. I okay. love gold. Yeah. Gold member. The character of gold member mm-hmm. is um, he's Dutch. He is. And that's like the running gag. It's, it's like vaguely racist in a way where the running gag, it was like, it was like Mike Myers ran out of ideas and so the whole, what made that character quote unquote funny was this running gag of like, I'm Dutch. Isn't that weird? I'm here to tell you that I think this movie is the gold member of Taika Watiti movies because it's like through the whole movie, he's like, hi, I'm Taika Watiti. I'm irreverent. And that I don't take anything seriously. Isn't that weird? Um, so if we get behind the psychology of Thor over the past five years, which is literally he's moved on from Jane. He's dealt with this earth crisis. That's never, Oh, this movie proves he did not move on at all. Well, clearly, (laughs) I mean, what is left after dealing with the Thanos snapping everyone and then finally defeating Thanos. I mean, he had no purpose until they defeated Thanos. And then after they defeated Thanos, it's like, okay, what do I do now? And the only thing you go back to what you knew before, which is Jane. And so, no, I, I thought it had some logical progression. Yeah. Well, let, let, let me move on a little bit because the Thor as comedic character, I think undercuts other scenes. We talked about Jane Foster and there was a weight to that story that I feel. So basically my problem with the irreverent humor, the absurdist humor of Taika Waititi and just the relentlessness of it in this movie, the nonstop relentlessness of that humor is the heavy parts, which he tried to put in there. They lose gravitas, right? Mm -hmm. They don't feel like they carry any weight. And one of those is Jane Foster, the running Mjolnir as ex-girlfriend jokes, right? That undercuts a scene with where, where she, that happens. One of those happens right before um, she tells him she has cancer and he finds out. And again, there's more banter with the hammer. The hammer's literally keeping Jane alive as far as he knows. And he's still like making jokes. They're still making jokes about it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Nobody would do that. It's so it's absurdity for absurdity's sake. And it undercuts the heaviness of that. You're supposed to feel there. And it makes Thor look like a bumbling, uncaring idiot. And, and say what you want about the, the arc of Thor. He's never been uncaring. Um, Thor one. He's not even worthy. He's not he's, worthy, but he cares that he's not worthy. At he, least he cares. But it's all from self perspective. I think that if you go with the arc of Thor, Thor one, he's like a teen right now. You have mid twenties Thor where he 
uh, is kind of there, but he's really still immature. He's still forming that frontal part of the mind. Yeah, but explain to me how he, he evolves into a raging narcissist in this movie, which is what he is. If you go through these mm. adverse experiences, Dave, I, I you mean, might become one too. I don't, I mean, I, I know you're going to have an explanation for it, but I don't think it makes I'm sense. I'm just saying trauma does weird things. I think the humor is driving the narrative instead of the humor being interspersed. Well, which is what about, I think it should be. When you think about the first Thor movie, which obviously was sort of its own. Um, he comes to this, he gets, comes to this more mature realization. And then we sort of, I'm going to agree with you, Dave. And that, and then he back, um, drops back a bit with Thor Ragnarok, but they're still very serious in it. But then you go to back to, uh, the Avengers movies and there's still that depression there and that uh, mm. some humor. But but when he kills Thanos, he, you know, he just like, I'm killing him. And that's all there's to. And then I'm going to agree with Dave on. Now, I'm not completely because I'm with you, Cody. I, I love this movie. But then all of a sudden, he's this absurd person again. Where did that come? Why? It's like, and, and a story switch because you got different directors. Yeah. But I'm, I'm probably not saying this very well. My problem isn't that this couldn't happen. My problem is I feel like that the absurdity of Taika Waititi's humor is driving what the narrative, where the narrative goes instead of it being real character beats and moments, right? Like to me, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because maybe that could happen, but I don't feel like they're showing us a good reason for it to have happened. He just, it's like a, a switch turns um, when he's with the guardians where he's just kind of like this bumbling narcissist, it's like someone told me today, it's like, it's literally like him and star Lord switch places in a way, because before, before that Thor was a lot like star Lord is now. And star Lord was this guy. He's the narcissist. He's the kind of bumbling, you know, idiot who has a heroic heart. He's like the idiot with the heart of gold, right? And now Thor's the idiot with the heart of gold. And somehow Star-Lord is, it, it was just like they switched. So I don't know that. You're being awful harsh with the narcissist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's be, well, I mean, because that's what the picture Taika paints of Thor. Is that, is that because he seems unfeeling in these times and he's so focused on himself and his pain, like, the whole scene where he sets that up, it's not unearned. He sets up the scene with him and Jane bantering back and forth about who left who. And Thor is so dense. Like, well, you left me. Uh, and she's like, by, by the way, she's right. Well, you weren't there. That's why I had to write a letter. Yeah. You know, he even acknowledges it, but then unacknowledges it immediately. Like, well, I guess you're right, but not really, you know, like, well, if it's you, just, you were a God, you would consider yourself more holier than thou. Okay. But you can keep explaining it away. I'm just saying they don't show us that. That's You're my problem. supposed to infer. That's my problem. It's been my problem with the last two movies. Now the Scarlet witch. Oh yeah. It's not that she becomes the villain. You just didn't show us any of it. Gore. It's not that I don't believe he is like, I shouldn't be able to piece together that he is a threat. You just don't show us why he's a threat. And, and if I'm ignoring the comic books, which I feel like to review a movie, I should, I, I think you're, they're doing a poor job. This, the character beats in this movie are poor and they're not driven by character. They're driven by 
I want to, to use absurdist humor and be Taika. Mm. All right. We're, we're not going to get to the same place on this. So let's, let's move, let's move on um, to other things that I thought needed improvement. The omnipotency scene with the gods, as good as Russell Crowe was, it, it's amazing. Uh, but because- the dumpling, the dumpling, <laughs> the ramen. Well, I don't even know what that was. The dumpling. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Listen, the scene's amazing, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm granting it to you. It's an amazing scene. However, because we don't see Gore, the God butcher butchering gods, or in fact, winning any battles whatsoever, we don't get to see that because we don't get the fact that he's a huge threat. It kind of makes Zeus right. How is he wrong? Like who cares? He's not a threat. Well, I mean, for them, he's not, if they don't have, um, the Bifrost and the only way they're getting Bifrost is through one of the gods. And if all the gods are there, then they're safe. I'm just saying again, because you've focused on humor, and not taking like all I'm asking for is 10 to 15 more minutes of movie to flesh out that Gore's a real bag, big, bad threat. Like, like he should have been, this is one of the most deadly villains in the Marvel universe. And he's not like Thanos. Uh, Thanos, I would say is intelligent, but not wise. And Thanos has this grand scale he's thinking on, which makes him a universal threat. Gore is a different kind of threat because I would say he's just as dangerous as Thanos because he's he has like like I said he's a nihilist he's a man without without hope and that makes it and he's got this godlike power through the necrosword the difference is, is it's highly focused on one particular subgroup in the marvel universe and because you don't show that i feel like yeah zeus doesn't have any reason like why would they why would they be afraid and in fact like it leads it. Well, go ahead, Matt. You, you, you have a response before I, cause I, cause so, I'm going to, it leads into another thing. I want to, I, I was talk just going to, I was just going to add when you think of Gore, if his eyes fall on you, you're dead. Yeah. Uh, but and I agree with the you. They don't, they don't, they don't do that. They don't, he never wins a battle, Matt. You don't see or feel that fear. He gets away with the kids in new Asgard after he's getting beat around. Cause it's a sneaky move. He's not a threat. They're beating him. Yeah. And it should not have. I mean, he's, well, I don't remember what the, you know, I'm getting my geek stuff up here, but uh, he's way, way, way more powerful than Thor. Yeah. He's not, he's not even, yeah, he should be. He should be way more powerful than Thor. And on this, to say that he should be on the level of Thanos is ridiculous. If you've, if all you know is this movie, cause you're like, oh, that's clearly not true. Well, yeah, because if you, all you're going on is the movie, he's not, he's not a big threat. Um, it makes, so, so the fact that he's not a threat and Zeus saying he'll never make it to eternity. This is my part two of this problem because Zeus should be right. What eternity is like a wishing well of some sort. And in, in very much in very much the same vein, he's this movie's book of Ashanti where I'm told this is some sort of wish granting device. It's on that level. And it's unfindable, except it's not. Well, <laughs> except, except for just like in the Multiverse of Madness, they find the book quite easily. And in just like this, Zeus, I think, should be right. Oh, he'll never make it. This should be something that's really hard, except it's not. 
He gets there rather easily and finds the most unfindable creature in the Marvel universe. Eternity. Well, they explain it, though. Like, everyone knows where eternity is. It's in the center center of the universe. You can explain it all you want. It doesn't make it not ridiculous. You you can't get to eternity, though, unless you have Bifrost. And so so your argument is, is that by making Stormbreaker like a red herring, basically, it's a plot device. Yeah, I mean, that's what they do. The Stormbreaker is a plot device in the entire movie. The Bifrost is a plot device. Yeah, but unexplainable. In fact, I'm not quite sure why we know why Stormbreaker has the ability to do this. We weren't shown that before. Are we? Well, there's not a movie. We just enter into this movie with Stormbreaker being able to do something we've never seen it do. Again, we don't have any movies between where he has to go to Asgard or anything. But this is what I'm saying, Cody. There's no development. No, wait. He disappears in Endgame at the beginning. He goes off with Stormbreaker. So I think we get glimpses of Stormbreaker doing this in Endgame. I'll need some confirmation the, on that. In the early part. Because <laughs> after they kill uh, Thanos, well, after Thor kills Thanos. Okay. But Eternity is basically a wishing well. That it's a god that the first person that gets there can make a wish. Okay. Now, here's where we get back to the whole development of character. Gore, whose whole motivation is that the gods are say, feelingless and cannot help you and are not interested in helping you. Because the whole movie rides on him making it to a god who is a wishing well, well <laughs> who gives him whatever he wants. It's a being. It's not a god. I shouldn't say god because we have it undercuts the entire motivation. Well, I mean, it's a celestial. It's not a god or whatever. It yeah, is. But in the Marvel universe, it's like a god. It's it's more of a god than Thor and these other little G gods are. Yeah, well, no, I would say that you say it right with the wishing well because it, it doesn't really respond to you or lead anything. It's what. So you bring a point up to me. So when they get there, and Thor says, "Oh, you won. Why not?" He has no more power left. Grab Gore, rip him back, and say, "Kill Gore." Poof. Yeah. Yeah. We're done. I I, I mean I think you're supposed to understand. Like again, there's no. We're not told this, but I think you're supposed to understand that there's something about the situation where it's too late. He's already got grant been granted an audience with eternity and it's up to him now. He's the first person. If Gore's whole motivation is that the gods don't care about regular folks suffering, then making eternity a wishing well, which is his whole goal to get to him. It's kind of dumb. Well, because it's it's literally the, God, the gods don't care about us and don't care about our suffering. Also, my whole mission is get to a God so he can grant me a wish. Get to a being that created everything <laughs> to wipe off the face of the universe. That's a good place to let's that's a good place to transition. I, let's talk saying. about let's talk about biblical themes. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, clearly, I have issues with the movie. You do not. Um, so we're not, we're not going to get to the bottom of these. So let's move on to, to biblical things, biblical themes. I was trying to be Geneva. Of which there are many. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's just talk about the, what, what, you know, the barely saved guys, uh, talked about it a little bit on the geek phone. This paints a great picture of why the Judeo Christian God is better than all our previous mythologies, all our little G gods that didn't care about us. Um, as I said before, I think Tyka set out to make a commentary movie about 
why faith in gods is dumb. But what he actually does, I think, is paint a good picture of why um, the hopelessness of being a human, that there's, you know, he's missing that one piece. In many ways, Taika is gore. He is without hope. He is painting you a picture without hope, but then yet puts a character in his movie who is the, the reigning God of the MCU, like eternity. Who's basically a wishing well, like at the end of the day. And the end theme is all about, yeah, you're not seeking vengeance. You're not seeking death. You're not seeking any of those things. You're seeking love. And it's a perfect unwittingly. He makes this perfect commentary of what a Christian would know that you have a God shaped hole in your, in your soul. And we try to fill it with all the things and in none, none of it works. And so that theme of the movie that the end, which I think should have been more powerful, but is undercut by the humor. <laughs> um, the end is uh, a great, great thing because we start off with suffering for your gods is your purpose, which is what the first God tells Gore. Mm-hmm. That's, that's your purpose. And what we end with is it's not death or revenge. You're seeking, you're seeking love. Everybody's seeking. Uh, I love that part. Okay. So where, like, if I was an atheist, where it would end for me? And I'd say that this is the way a lot of Christians view it. Um, and they're wrong. And I'll say that right now. But they would view God as eternity. Mm-hmm. That yeah, God's absolutely. A, a, a genie, basically, that will grant your wishes. Mm-hmm. And that is a bad construct of who God is. Right. Um, and if I'm going biblical route, I will go to what Thor does, and which is I'm going to spend my last moments loving this person. Mm-hmm. And that's what God literally did through Jesus Christ is like, hey, I'm going to love humanity, even though they're the worst. And I'm going to be willing to sacrifice myself for it, which Thor was willing to sacrifice himself because he's like, well, I know that this is over. Uh, yet Thor doesn't get to to meet his demise. He literally then gets to, I guess, bring about life. Yeah. And so... Oh, this, is, this is either unintentionally or maybe somewhat intentionally chock full of biblical themes. Uh, we already talked about Job. That, that gore is basically Job. Yeah. And with, with one single difference. I would say that once you dive in deeper to Job, he gets to a point where he is hopeless. Mm. That yes, yeah. all the friends have told him, forsake God, do this, do that. And he then questions. Because before this, it was, oh, God's will, God's will, it's all good. And then he's like, why God? Why me? Turns it to himself and he's ready to forsake, although we don't get full on forsakeage. But that's why, that's why I think Gore could have been such a more interesting character if we establish the threat because the threat and the power of him comes from him losing all hope. Right. 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 Like you're talking about with Job, which would have made that ending when he, when he's looking, he looks at Thor, there's, of course it's Christian Bale and he's wonderful as an actor because a lot of this just happens in his eyes, but he looks at um, Thor and Jane 
and and you can tell that's where he he's starting to change his mind and understand what it is Thor has said to him. And I just think all of that would have been more effective had we seen mo- just more hopelessness because I think by taking out some of the threat of gore, you don't make him as hopeless. Like there's just always this little nugget, which is why I compared him to Darth Vader earlier. Like we just don't, I just don't feel like they do a good enough job um, showing the hopelessness of gore after that very first scene. And I'll bite on that. That's because uh, that's so when the, when the sword's broken and destroyed, Gore doesn't have, uh, for no better purpose, Satan in his ear anymore. Mm, right. So he can, so then he. Also, that's a more of Thor's ineptness, by the way. Because <laughs> he turns his focus onto Jane and your very weak now humanoid has just crawled through the portal to eternity. But go on. Yeah. No, um, I'm sorry. If that was my wife, if it was my wife or my, you know, I would turn to her. It makes too, sense. So. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense, but, um, but if I agree, if, if they would have fleshed it out more of his dest- destructive nature of just, if my eyes on you, you're dead. Um, and then when the, the sword is destroyed, he can for a moment go, you know, uh, think on his own, I guess. Right. Cause they do establish that the sword is corrupting yes. that it corrupts it's, his thoughts and will finally it's kill him. Yeah. It's killing yeah. him. It's a, it's a disease, which there's an interesting parallel that they never quite connect. Yeah. Cause they, the, the, the whole turn where Mjolnir is actually hurting Jane, which never, that there's no payoff for that. It just seems to be a plot device to keep her, from being there at first so she can show up and save the day. Right. Which granted is cool, yeah. uh, but doesn't make a lot of sense, but they could have done a lot more paralleling. Well, they said that the, it takes up all her earthly body energy whenever she goes full superhero mode. And yeah. So, and so her natural self defenses that the chemotherapy should, should be helping be aren't. And I think that if you're looking for a Jesus character, you look to Jane in this. Yeah, well, like I said, Jane's character, the whole Jane story is great. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, by the end of this movie, what I want out of a future movie is for Hercules to show up and take down Thor, and then we just roll with Jane as the mighty Thor. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, And I love the character of Thor. Yeah. But I got a little Thored out on this one. Uh, no, and Natalie Portman did awesome. Yeah. Awesome is that part. Uh, you know, I'm going to step, we were talking about the God. I love the scene in Avengers when um, they first see Thor, and I, I pulled this up, says these guys come from legend. They're basically gods. And Captain America says, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a nice callback. Yeah. Because we see that, and again, it's, it's a, a sign that like, well, yeah, these guys are shadows. Even Zeus, it, again, Russell Crowe's amazing. Um, but we see he's kind of a, a tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, Gore's right in a lot of ways. He's right. This is okay. So I am going to bring up the comic books here. One of the things I was really missing out was Thor in the comic book run of this Jason Aaron's run of this story that, that they're borrowing heavily from 
So the nihilism of gore is kind of matched with Thor um, going through something as well, where by the end of the story where Thor has been getting beaten roundly, he ends up winning. So the, the way he ends up beating Gore in the comics is he has two Mjolnirs. He steals the Necro sword. And basically that's how he wins yeah. uh, over a very powerful Gore. But at the end of it all, Thor has this moment of clarity where he says, Gore was right because there were people that prayed to me and I ignored him to be a superhero. Like mm-hmm. Thor goes through this like kind of um, arc in the comic books where he realizes that Gore was right, that he had a responsibility that he had been uncaring to the people that had looked up to him in this way. And again, it's another place where I think that the, the, the jokiness and the humor of it is kind of undercuts what you could have done. Although, you know, I, I they don't always faithfully adapt from the comic books and I'm, and I'm fine with that. I will say I, I picked up on that in this movie though, that Thor comes to that realization anytime he interacts with Axel. Cause it's then and there that he then is like, Oh, I actually have people and I actually have duties and I've been just seeking out all the battles. There's some good heart. Yeah. I will agree with that. There's heart in that scene, even through his bumbling, which he kind of still does with the kids in the storytelling and all that. Um, there's heart in that. And I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Anytime he has to use the weird, scary eye thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Who wins this movie? Who, who's the winner of this movie? Jane, Jane Foster, Natalie Portman, the character of Jane Foster. Although I would, I mean, there's a large part of me that would agree with that, that Jane Foster is the winner of this movie. She's not going to be my winner just because I feel like her story is undercut by all the humor. Hmm. And because we're unsure about where clearly the end credit scene and stashing her in Valhalla means they they're doing that because, Hey, we might want to use her character later on. That was just the way I saw it. I took it as that just showed you how inept the first God was. Cause he said afterlife. <laughs> And yeah, well, started they, laughing. Well, you know, they and show us maybe the most inept of people that get worshipped by humanoids or th- these creatures because that guy's a, a tool because we've already seen in Moon Knight that there are afterlifes in the MCU. There's yeah. a, the Egyptians have one. We see that clearly in the Moon Knight series. Um, Black Panther. Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, so, yeah. I, I mean, yes, but I think that it's to – I viewed it more as to – compare and contrast with the very beginning. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's a bad choice. I think Jane Foster's arc. I think the story, her being in this movie was good. I think it was a good thing. Well, I feel like you just stole my thunder. Ma- <laughs> <laughs> is that who you were going to say? Is yes. that who you I would have say Jane. In the movie? Jane. Yeah. yeah. Um, she, she's, um, she, she's what made, you feel in that mm. movie. Yeah. And I guess because of what I do, well, what I do, I work in uh, the medical field and I, 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 I see people's mm-hmm. worst. And so do you, mm-hmm. you work in the medical. Um, um, it's good to, uh, they do. Uh, I th- thought they fleshed out enough, th- that out enough for me to have feeling for it and to go, Wow, that's um, yeah. Um, you know, there was something about her story that they subvert a trope 
right? That's usually a male trope. So usually it's the male who gets shot and is like in the movies and the old movies is like, go on without me. You know, he's like the guy who's ignoring the pain and the toughness and the sickness. It's always the man. Yeah. So I, I can appreciate that. She gets to be that someone who's like deflecting that she's really sick, really, really sick to be like overly tough to be like, "Uh, I'm fine. No, it's only I'm stage fine. four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's only four stages that we know of. I actually thought that was awesome that they, that they gave that to her character and really let that play out. And she's the hero of the movie at the end. Yeah. My winner of the movie is going to be Russell Crowe. Because <laughs> I just, for the, for the short amount of screen time he's in the movie, he's the most memorable part of the movie for me. I Listen, I... I didn't mention Korg in my uh, stuff that I was disappointed with. Uh, the reason I'm not super happy with Korg is because one of the, the Korg is narrator is great in this movie. Korg is active character. Mm, not so much. His constant joking in scenes, like take the scene right after the kids get stolen where they're acting like imbeciles and, and Korg's j- making jokes after children got kidnapped by monsters. Like that was such a weird scene. Um, I, and I, I noticed the first time and it was even heavier on me the second time when I saw it, I'm just like, this scene's weird. Yeah. They're, they're showing no real, no real emotional impact that children just got kidnapped by monsters and Korg's out here with jokes. But is he, is he, is he? Yes. Yes, this whole, the whole scene's played for laughs. It might be played for laughs, but is his character setting out for jokes? Because I would say no. That's who his character was in Ragnarok. It's who it was in Endgame. Okay, but what I'm saying it's is, who is his you're right. Is. That's, you're right. But what I'm saying is maybe Korg should have taken a little backseat in the active commentary of the movie and been more of the narrator. Maybe he should have been a little bit more in the background because, again, my my problem isn't that his, it's it's not loyal to his character. My problem is you're undercutting real drama. In this case, that the children of Asgard, New Asgard, just got kidnapped by monsters, and by by not taking that seriously, again you get back to not only is it damaging the character of Thor in the movie, and it's damaging the theme, the the feel of the movie. You're damaging the character of Gore because. He's not being taken seriously as a threat. I don't find him as a threat because there's too much humor. There's, I can't believe I'm about to say this. There's too much cork. No, there's too much cork. Um, Korg as narrator was genius. Korg as active character was, there was too much. We all have that friend that doesn't read the room and doesn't know what to do or say. Korg's that character. Michael Scott does it a thousand times in the office. Yeah. Kevin has cancer, but Michael Scott ruins it. But you're in on the joke in the and office. Then, you understand everyone in everyone. All the characters understand that he's insensitive and, and an idiot. There's no indication that anyone in the room would find any of that strange in that scene, which course, because Valkyrie's joking along with them. Uh, Jane Foster's joke. Everyone's joking. <laughs> kids just got kidnapped by monsters. Well, they are probably getting tortured or eaten or God knows what. Literally, it doesn't make sense. You can't make it make sense to me, Cody. It, I'm sorry. You can't 
Korg, if it's the scene I'm thinking of when he is literally in the building and he like clears his voice and then like bows because his excellency is coming through. He's more focused on Thor and it's not really like, it's funny to us as an audience, but it would be expected because he makes a joke right before that though. In that you're going to have to repeat the joke. Cause I don't don't remember. remember. I don't remember exactly what he says, but there's some jokes going on there. It's not important. It's not important. (laughs) The winner of the movie is Russell Crowe. <laughs> I'm giving it to, to Russell Crowe because he's amazing. Otherwise, I was going to go with Taika because top to bottom, great movie, and the narration was brilliant. I think Taika's a big loser here. I think. Ouch. Let, let's, let's move on to the Go Get Him Next Time Award. He's not, <laughs> he, he's not the guy who loses the movie in, my, in my, what I was going to say because what I'm going to say is it's Thor, the character of Thor itself. I think is the big loser in this movie because I feel like you've, he's such a departure now from the source material. Um, and this again, I will offer it's highly subjective. I'm a comic book lover and MCU lovers, just MCU lovers might not have a problem with it. I do. I think Thor is the big loser. However, I reserve the right to change my vote to Taika after Taika <laughs> loses the star Wars movie. He's supposed to be doing because I think that this movie and its critical reception, which I think is earned and, and the stuff about he's he, the, the over the top irreverence and humor detracts from the, the heaviness. Like, look, the MCU is pretty light and airy. That stuff's not going to fly in star Wars world. You, star Wars fans are crazy. Cody. So are they going to go for that? That's why I think he trolled in this movie is because he might be a geek at heart, but he knows the, the evilness and the vile that is within geekdom and star Wars fans. So you don't think it. he'll do that in a star Wars movie. You I don't think, think you don't think Taika is going to be Taika. I think star he's Wars going to do it on purpose. Oh boy. I don't think that's going to go well. I think <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy is making another big mistake. <laughs> she does a lot of those. I, I think, I think Taika <laughs> is the worst possible choice for a star Wars movie. And I think this movie proves it. I think that you'll get new star Wars fans and well, that might be because they're going to lose some old ones. And you know what? Good riddance. Get your bros. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But there wouldn't be any of these movies if not for the original fans uh, of the source material. I'm just saying like what you did to that poor kid in Phantom Menace, what you did to the poor guy that played hey, Jar Jar Binks. Don't blame that on all Star Wars fans. There's, there's a select few in the crowd that are just bad news. I will. I was fine with Jake Lloyd that like, now, your wife loved Jar Jar Binks. She right? did. She is single-handedly carrying the Jar Jar Binks mantle. <laughs> Who's the loser of the movie? Uh, I don't really know if I have a loser. Valkyrie. Valkyrie. I'll go Valkyrie. She doesn't get a lot to do, does she? Because like at the end of it, she's like, oh, I lost a kidney. I don't think I'll be in on this one. Speaking of Star Wars, that seems to be a running thing. How many times are we going to see someone get gutted and still live? Like the the Kenobi series, like people just getting run through by lightsabers. Here we see Valkyrie get run through basically. Yeah. And she's okay, I guess. But yeah, you're right. Um, she it, is a Valkyrie. I, that is a good one. Cause I'm just like, yeah, what does she get to do? You know what my favorite Valkyrie carry- scene was? Can it, you guess which my favorite Valkyrie scene is in this it, movie? 
when she gets to carry Korg in her hair, or is it when they're on the boat and she's holding the mic for Korg? Because anything she does with Korg, Korg steals the scene. Well, right, but that's not good for her. No. I'm talking about the most memorable Valkyrie moment. I don't know. It's the moment with the, the, the old speaker spice? that looks like a hand grenade. And oh. they have, they, oh, and she yeah. starts bobbing, bobbing her head and dancing. That was the, I laughed out loud. That was my most memorable Valkyrie moment. I think the, the whole movie, spice. the that whole movie could have been, was awesome. yeah, the whole movie could, could have not had her in it. And that was the only scene I, it wouldn't have changed for me. Cause that's the only scene I really remember. Um, so, old spice commercial was funny. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, new Asgard as tourist destination should have made our um, favorite scenes and things too. Cause that was funny. So and my, also awesome. So biggest loser. I'm going to give you. So someone I think we're, I, I was expecting, I was hoping that Sif would be in it more. Oh, oh I forgot she was even in it. Let's, <laughs> like, let's like, really? talk about Sif. <laughs> Sif, who's mortally wounded on the battlefield who in fact has lost an arm that's in valkyrie and the scene <laughs> is played for laughs again the scene you undercut any seriousness of it because it's played for jokes yeah. i i actually love that scene yeah i loved it but it doesn't loved make it. sense and it, it undercuts it, it like, does because she wa- didn't die in battle she died at, or was going to die after the battle from starvation well it's a good thing because we cannot use her in the next movie too we can we can use her as a comedic device in the next movie too. So I'm sur- I'm sure glad she didn't die. I hope she gets a robot arm. <laughs> I know they didn't we already a robot got one. Arm in it. We already got a Winter Soldier, man. Well, that's all right. Bucky needs Listen, a lady friend. I don't know why we're keeping <laughs> Sif alive at this point, other than just throwing her in and using her as, as well, comic relief in a, Sif, in a movie that's all comic relief. Sif and the friends of three. I mean, they. They just get misused left and right. So uh, my, my loser of the movie is Thor. I just, the character of Thor, uh, you've, he's degraded into something I don't recognize. He's more like star Lord should be. Well, um, at the end, he's a completely different character. The guardians. Of, no, he's not. Yeah, he is. No, he's a dad. He's a dad. Yeah. Love and thunder. But we don't, yes. we don't get anything to, we don't, that's not he's proven. Caring. You assume you're assuming he he's is. making whatever they call flapjacks, but he didn't call them flapjacks. He was Flap trying cakes. to get her to wear the, um, the boots. I, I mean, and he went along with her decorating. All you know, the hammer is that he has a purpose for his life with the character who now needs him. So, as far as his narcissism and his raging issues go, he there's you have no proof he's changed. He has a focus, and his focus is being a good dad. That's that may be true, but he you can't prove he's changed. I feel he's changed. (laughs) Well. You can feel all you want. Are you sure you're, <laughs> are you sure you're not Pentecostal? <laughs> all these feelings. I'm just saying some of us are optimistic where some of us are pessimistic. Um, I, I feel like I could have mentioned all the guardians of the galaxy. Cause I feel like they're just used as plot devices in this movie. Oh, I wish I'd seen more of them. Um, yeah, I wanted more of them and I'm not mad that I got them at all as plot devices. They were some of the funnier parts of the movie as we've already referenced. So I yeah. do have a question for you cause you brought this up as a scene that could have been better is the scene between gore and thor when they're at eternity is that the mcu's martha (laughs) 
because as bad as you have painted the picture, it is Batman saying to Superman, what name did you say? Martha? No. Oh, my goodness. I have a complete change of heart. And now Gore has a complete change of heart because he saw Thor hug Jane. Well, I would say that the argument you're making is the direct result of them not fleshing out Gore's character more. That's the problem. I are you w- saying it's unearned? Because I would agree with you. I, yeah, I said it was it earned. loses its gravity. I said it was earned because you see throughout the scene that it is, or throughout the movie, that Gore had love for his daughter. That was the only thing that was driving him was okay. the love for the daughter. This is my point. Um, let's go. Let's move on to final grades. I would give this movie a five and a half out of ten stars. Ew. All all five and a half of those points are delivered because of fun. This movie is a roller coaster ride that you're thrilled to be on. You're you're thrilled to be on it. It's a thrill. I'm I'm generally entertained. I'm thrilled. And then afterwards, I wonder why I waited in line 45 minutes to do it in the 100 degree weather. That's the <laughs> there's no there's no substance. There's, there's nothing in this movie. It's all, it's cotton candy, which I know is like the pure definition of a popcorn flick, but Hey, independence day looks like citizen Kane compared to this movie. Independence day has way more feeling than this movie. This movie is, is largely devoid of feeling. If you remove Christian Bale's acting, which (sighs) delivers the, the sensitive parts of Gore's story through his facial expressions and his acting. I would, I would argue that the story that's delivered from Taika Waititi here is devoid of feeling. It's complete cotton candy. It is, it is thrill without substance. Elizabeth, I am coming to see you because that's what Fred Sanford would say. (laughs) And that's what I'm feeling right now. You can disagree with me. I'm giving it five and a half. What do you give it? I'm going to Matt. Matt, what do you give it? So, I'm going to, this is why, okay, so so we've dealt with a lot over the last two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, all I want is a fun movie. Um, That's fair. And, That's fair. Hey, I think people agree with you. This is making all the monies. So I give it an eight. Okay. Hey, again, I admit this is highly subjective. Movie reviewing in general. Oh, is. yeah, absolutely. Some movies are not going to land with me that they're going to land with others. Some movies are going to land with me that don't land with others. Like, I'm going to sit here and tell you that I think Spielberg's best movie ever, speaking of Christian Bale, is Empire of the Sun. Not many people would say that. I think it's wonderful. I think that's it's a fantastic movie. It stars Christian Bale in his first movie. He's yeah, a kid. Yeah, no. That's great, great flick. Anyways, yeah. it's can, subjective, and now, I get it. Can I tell you, though, if my son's listening to this, mm-hmm. um, he's crying because you just took his movie and just, just bashed it. <laughs> No, listen, no, stop teasing. I got a stack of Thor comics for you, Thor. They're <laughs> yours. They have your name on it. And I invite you to read them if it's okay with your dad. Honestly, I think I know my son. Well, he would be more on your side. Honestly, yeah. I just, just his personality. I, and I am as a comic book lover. Yeah. Thor's character is just a disappointment for me, but I had fun in the movie and it, but it was fun. Name. Yeah, given absolutely. Okay. Cody. So. Spielberg's best movie is Duel, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, so for me, I will be the optimistic one of the group. Okay. I will go 
nearly a nine. It fluctuates between eight and a half and a nine. Okay. I will say, if you grew up as an older millennial and you grew up watching Princess Bride, mm-hmm. it hits all the same beats. And it does have... That's high praise, sir. It does have stakes in the movie. It does have good stories going on. Literally, the Jane story is huge. You have what's going on with Christian Bale. You have parents worried about their kids. Thor my my actually, argument isn't that they weren't present. My argument is that they could have been more powerful. They get undercut. Well, literally, you could have had five movies from this movie, but still, it's, you get one movie, and this is the best way it could be delivered. Serious, serious question. Should they do less movies and more Disney Plus shows? No. No. See, I think, I think if this is the kind of movie we're going to get, I say yes. I enjoy the, I enjoy, my, so, I enjoy the serial episodic delivery and the, the amount of time, more time they have to flesh out characters. So let's go stories. back. So Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think would have better would have made a better movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I, then you're talking about a different beast, though, because th- that, like, look, comparing the Kenobi series to any of the Marvel Plus shows, that's a losing battle. Because um, while I found some that's of true, parts of Obi Wan, uh, parts of Kenobi were very entertaining, especially anything with uh, Obi Wan and, and Vader. Um, to me, there's not one Marvel series that's not better than Kenobi as a series. I will take any Marvel series over Kenobi. Even most people would say Falcon and the winter soldier or Hawkeye was probably the weakest. I'd take either one of them. Yeah. Um, Can I say you compared this to a princess bride? Oh I yeah. It was as good as that. Inconceivable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very nice. Um, but right, I, I mean, I will say that the issue I have with streaming shows especially when done with the comic book format, it becomes less about the episodes and it's just a really elongated movie that has breaks built into it. And then you get into the Snyder cut (laughs) and then every MCU fan that bashed the Snyder cut, that's what you're craving evidently. Okay. But the Snyder cut wasn't long for the story's sake. It was long for about eight stories sake. The, what I'm saying is, is these are stories that you're not completely fleshing out in my opinion. Like I, I, I hear you and I understand, but why does it have to be one or the other extreme? Cause right? Let, let's move, let's move on to this, to the news part portion here, because I think it's going to play into this conversation. The daily beast came out with an article. The headline reads this, the Marvel cinematic universe's phase four has been a total train wreck. Thoughts, Cody. Um, they're wrong. Yeah, I think they're wrong too. <laughs> I will say, I think the past two movies that have come out are not for everyone. I think there's going to be targeted audiences, and it's not necessarily targeted on the superhero, it's targeted on the storytelling components with the superhero. And so, if you like Sam Raimi, you loved Multiverse of Madness. Untrue. I love Sam Raimi, but mm. I did not love Multiverse of Madness. Fascist. I loved the parts that were Sam Raimi-esque, but oh. the story parts I had some issues with. Same as this movie. I, I really liked it. 
And I, I think Spider-Man No Way Home is a top three MCU movie for me. So I would disagree on the on the strength of that alone. I would, phase four is some sort of train wreck. Phase one? Rewatch any oh, of the stop. Iron Man. Stop well, it with your, you cannot, but, like, that's like judging completely different context. You cannot judge Iron those Man movies. 2 is in phase one. So there is a background story already established. Yeah, but and it's, it's trash. You're building, you're still building on a foundation. It's trash. It's and not trash. We just got done it with the end game, trash. which is a reset. In game reset the whole Marvel universe. You have a soft foundation, but you don't have the major players. Captain's gone, Iron Man's gone. The whole foundation hey, is gone. My problem is not the introduction of more characters. My problem is you're not fleshing them out. The new characters who are getting Disney Plus shows, those are great. Miss yeah. Marvel is wonderful. Yeah. I uh, have not watched past episode one. Miss really? Marvel's a great yeah. show. Ugh. I'm here to tell you, it's it's a wonderful show. I Moon, don't have to Moon watch. Moon Knight was fantastic. Oh, Moon Knight was. Uh, but although, these are all fringe new characters. It, it says something to me that the, the problems they're having are with the established ones. I will say that your opinion is not that of everyone, though, because there's a lot of people that are like, I really hate the Marvel Plus shows. Well, and, it brings up an interesting... And then they okay. go to straight to the movies and are like, oh, yeah. I love these, let's, and I'll speak Let's reframe um, this back into this discussion, though, of the daily beast saying that phase four is a total train wreck. I do think they're at a crossroads, the MCU, because I think what they're, what they're being faced with now is that the bulk of their character development is going to come through the shows. And when I say that, I, I wonder if they'd be better served like with more Disney push shows and less movies. It's the, the idea that like, think about them doing this story through the course of a series of six episodes, six hours worth of entertainment rather than the two hours we get in a movie that like it is a popcorn flick. It is supposed to be light and airy and fun. Mm -hmm. And I, I will admit that and understand that. But what I'm saying is, is I think some of these stories that have these deep heavier things in them, like this one has or tries to have, it would have been better served as a series. Now, Marvel's not going to do that because they're not, you know, they're not saying, "Hey, here's your billion dollars back." That we, um, they're not going to say we don't want that. They do, but I guess what I'm saying is, is the people that like the movies generally want action and humor and just moving at breakneck speeds. But there are two kinds of people here in this. What we're talking about, there are the people like me that appreciate the character development. I, you know, what I like about stories, characters. Mm -hmm. That's what I like. I and I, and I like to see them fleshed out. I don't like to see them doing things that I don't understand that don't make sense because you haven't fleshed out the character. Right. I think they fleshed it out good enough for me. You're crazy. That, that literally I don't need to be walked through this slowly. I do think what could have served this and was served Marvel and Disney plus both. You do a new Asgard series. And it leads to the events of Gore showing up at Asgard, and you launch this movie from New Asgard being attacked and Thor actually coming back. If my, you can have Natalie Portman's character in the New Asgard series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I, I'm fine with that. Uh, but if my incredulousness took up physical space, I would throw it at you. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Hot takes. <laughs> and I, I, 
they didn't flesh Gore out enough, and I, I wish they would have because he's a really cool character. And there's a lot of there's we haven't even touched the Marvel universe. There are so many more characters uh, that could be, but again, but even Moon Knight because I love Moon Knight, love him. I don't think fle- they fleshed him out enough, in my opinion. I don't think there was enough. Yeah, I mean. I mean- there were people that said that, and I can see, good. I can see what they're saying. Yeah, I'm like, come, but he I deserve more. Knight. Yeah, and uh, I'm like, come on, really? Here, let, let's first of all agree that Phase Four is not a train wreck. No, absolutely. That there's yeah, there's a lot of hyperbole out there when it comes to the MCU. They're fine. They're I will fine. stand by my comments. Though. The MCU is fine. My disappointment in the last two movies um, don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Because here's what I will say. Here's what I think is happening. And I will say that this is actually a good thing, but it's leading to some conflict. Okay. Feige had such control over the first few phases um, that he has released phase four, whether you think it's been great or bad or average, what he's done with movies like Eternals series, like Moon Knight movies, like Multiverse of Madness with Sam Raimi movies like Thor with Taika being even more Taika what he's doing. You're giving these amazing, brilliant genius filmmakers eternals and Chloe Zhao, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people didn't like, but I I thought it was great. Yeah. Beautiful Uh, cinema. He's allowing them more room to create their art. Mm -hmm. However, I think the last two movies, them being shorter and cutting down on the character development is him maybe trying to take it back a little bit. And I think the storytelling is suffering a little because my problems with the last two movies are strictly if you take away all the beats and, and the, the stuff I'm the, the, the details, what I'm talking about is I don't buy that these characters that you're developing these characters and you're not explaining to me why they're doing the things they're doing. I don't think it's earned. And I think that's because maybe there's a little tug of war going on between the, the room he's giving the creators and then him trying to maybe take it back a little bit. Cause at the end of the day, they make the movie, but Marvel gets to edit. That's Kevin Feige's alone. Yeah. Um, he is King. Yeah. And so I think there's a little conflict there in my opinion. I think that's, if I could, I, if I could peer behind the curtain, I wonder if that's not what's happening. I think that, I mean, clearly it's building towards something else because a lot of people are that are down well, on it right now are like, well, this is no end game. Well, end game was like a climax yeah. moment. And that's not, un- that's not fair because he has said that phase four very recently. He said that phase four is simply the world, the Marvel universe reacting and dealing with the after effects of end game. Yes. This has all been about that. Now, when they turn the ship, which they're about to do, I think a lot of these things get fixed on their own. Mm-hmm. When, because they'll have more of a what most people who are disappointed are is the the direction they they felt that direction, like you know anybody that likes episodic elements, they yeah those in credit scenes are really important to send you to the next thing, which some of them haven't had that in this phase. They've just kind of been Easter eggy type things. Um, I think once they turn the ship, which I think you're about to do, and I think you're going to hear some things about that at San Diego Comic Con. Um, here in the next week or so, uh, I think a lot of that'll change. 
automatically. But you're going to that, right? The San Diego Comic-Con? Oh, I wish. Uh, We're not big enough yet. If That's... you want to sponsor us <laughs> to go to San Diego Comic-Con, please email us. Oh my gosh, that would be so That's amazing. a bucket list for me. All right. Um, we got to get out of here. Yeah. It's I, time for us. We're, we're, we're way over time. <laughs> we're way over time, which we usually are. But um, I not- blame Dave and his hot takes. It's hot in here. It's so hot in this room right now. I feel like I'm dying. Um, this has been Pop Culture Pastor. Thank you to Matt Bogle. Yes, thank you, Matt. New member of the Geeks of the Roundtable. Thank you. Sir, you're welcome back. Your spot is reserved here at the Roundtable. <laughs> awesome. uh, the all-father spot. Go go and sp- and share geekiness in your, in your day-to-day travels, sir. Every day. Yeah. Um, as usual. Please uh, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It uh, helps us out a lot. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.